0: He was starving and he was delirious and he crawls up into this moth, like this group of trees out there in the middle of nowhere, just sticking up in this ocean of scrub, and he found religion.
1: At that moment, he told me he found God.
0: Um, and it turns out the God. He's a squirrel. Yeah. Big old meaty one. I found God, he used to say. While sitting and basking in the, the glory and the sublimity of mercy, I shot and ate that son of a bitch.
2: Hello there and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And
0: I'm Mario Ponzio. And this is episode 67. Episode 67. There's no fun numbers no, associated. Yeah, there's
2: no... 1967. I, was, I wasn't alive. 1967.
0: Was, my mom was two years old in
2: 1967. That's pretty good. It, oh,
0: pretty good. One for actually most of it.
2: Yeah. That's how... She did good. Yeah. She made it. She made yeah. it through. Yeah. What
0: 1967? else happened in 1967. Got Lyndon Baines Johnson. It was probably pre- around that time. It Baines. Was he was like, he was like, I'm not going. I'm not going to run for president because I'm. Gonna <laughs> if I do,
2: um, or if someone's gonna, someone's gonna kill me if I do. So, yeah, I won't do that.
0: <laughs> Wish we had a, a fun little conversation to start with, but
2: um, we don't. been a pretty, don't... pretty,
0: pretty slow day, and we're coming back from a, a movie. We'll talk about.
2: Um, but yeah, let's go to. Um, let's talk about this. And it, it was not.
0: Killer's game the Dave Batista movie that, that we talked about earlier. No. Dave Batista takes a contract out in his own life. this is, this is in pre-production and because uh, he wants he's, he's told he's going to die in a few months and it turns out he's not going to die It' was a bad test result, and now he has to face off against this army. I am
2: pretty sure this is just a documentary about something oh. that actually happened to Dave Batista. yeah I
0: 100 percent would agree with
2: that. Um, we are drinking a special beer today. It is not local. Um, because of how special it is. It is from Gigantic Brewing Company. They are out of Portland, Oregon. I think it's a day trip. If you fly? No, if you drive. I
0: think if you drive really quickly. I don't think it
2: is, Mario. I don't think you understand the concept.
0: I think if you drive very fast, above the speed limit, in a car that can travel at high speeds, which cars can probably travel upwards of two. Some cars can drive. If you're driving a Formula One car.
2: 200 miles an hour on a straight line. Can you make it? Probably. Let's do some math. Let's, Let's see. Let's see here.
0: Let's see if this is a let's see if this is a a day trip beer.
2: <laughs> if you drive
0: two hundred miles an hour straight line, two hundred miles. Okay, so we got. Oh no, I don't want flights. I want. There we go. Okay, so it's two thousand nine hundred and seventy-one miles. So you could indeed make it. You could make it and almost make it back within a single day.
2: Day trip. There you go. Yeah, local beer. Another local day trip beer. beer. It is um, Hellboy. Get it? It's a Hellboy beer. There's a picture of Hellboy on it. It is a maple syrup Because we're reviewing
0: Shazam beer. today?
2: Yeah. We're, no, we're reviewing Little. Um, <laughs>
0: did that come out today?
2: Yeah, it did. You could go it see actually it. actually looks like it's going to be can go fun see on it video. At 6 o'clock.
0: This um, is a, a maple pancakes beer. I don't know what style it is necessarily. This it is a maple tempting
2: pan. breakfast beer. And they say it, looks it, like brown, it looks like a brown. like a brownish
0: life. ale. Has a color of a brown ale. It looks or, a little bit like a root beer. Um, I mean, it smells like maple. Uh, but this is based upon an old Hellboy story, where um, Hellboy is called in for breakfast and wants noodles, but he's told he can only have pancakes. He doesn't want to eat pancakes. He has the pancakes and loves it. And then down in hell, the demons cry, and one of the uh, demon lords, or, or the three demon lords, comment that now Hellboy has eaten pancakes, so he'll never want to return the hell. So this is what saved hellboy.
2: Go. We're not going to hell, Mario.
0: No, hellboy's not going to hell.
2: No, we're not. Either.
0: But also, if there's no pancakes in hell, guys, you got to you got to get on on your shit.
2: Well, there might you don't a... want to go to hell. So what are they eating? Well, eating no just pancakes. French toast. Apparently noodles. Waffles? Well,
0: hellboy wants noodles, so I guess noodles are in hell. I'm doing Which seems it. I
2: like noodles.
0: Seems wrong, yeah. What kind of noodles? Ooh. That finish is very mapley. It's but very the... mapley. Ooh, that's a lot of maple.
2: It almost t- <laughs> tastes like you're drinking syrup.
0: But, like, when it's in your mouth, like, the there's there's really this kind of a brownish ale, and it's, but it's like all the aftertaste is maple. I'm going to let it sit in my mouth for a bit.
2: It's pretty nice. I actually wish it was more, I wish it was thicker. I wish the beer was thicker. I wish I had go- gone into the, the stout water region instead what of the brown I wonder, ale. though.
0: I'm just making sure to see if this is a brown ale. Uh, But if it did coat the tongue, right, would it be just just too much? Would it be too overwhelming? Would it kind of stick there? You know what's going to be overwhelming? This just came out in March, by the way. Um, It doesn't
2: tell you the style. It's another beer.
0: It's a pancake beer.
2: Pancake beer. There you go. They invented it.
0: there, There are going to be a series of Hellboy beers coming out,
2: so we're gonna have to. There's watch gonna be a mole chili,
0: a citrus wheat, times. an indigo blue fruit ale, a cranberry yuzu sour, and a British barley wine. This is literally just called a pancake beer. I don't know if pancake beer is a style of beer, but
2: it's, it's I feel like this is about to you should be checking on throughout the episode, and you should you should check back with updates.
0: Are we gonna Are we gonna have to come back and come back to those beers then You think? No. Do you think we'll do like maybe
2: pre- and maybe just for our own when entertainment.
0: Start, when we start a Hellboy podcast with you a person who likes the movies and read the comics?
2: I read the comics, too yeah.
0: And me a person who has seen the movies.
2: You didn't and read. And loved all
0: of them. Loved all 3 of them. All 3 of them. As a matter of fact, let's get to that right now. As we discuss Hellboy. We face
1: every threat there is and yet you take me in. Hello, son. You made me a goddamn weapon.
2: Where's my fucking violin? Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Out there, there's a fifth century sorceress who wants to bring down the curtain on London and the world.
1: Great. Homework.
2: All right, so I'm not sure what there is to say about. Hellboy more, more only because there's so much we could say about Hellboy. I feel like our conversation about Hellboy is going to be kind of like our dragged across the concrete conversation without the kind of positive, um, you know, underpinnings of everything that we're saying um, I don't about know, it. man.
0: There's a lot, of, a lot of positives to be said about this movie. Uh, so this was, the uh, one actually makes me happy, okay. before we get into like, the quick description of what it's about. The thing that makes me happy about this is we don't see a lot of movies we don't go out of our way to see a lot of movies that are definitively considered bad movies. Pet Cemetery started out with like strong reviews.
2: Coming out of South by Southwest, everyone yes. was freaking out about it.
0: And then it like it's gone down to middling reviews. Now it's at middling, and it's a middling movie. Like as I get further away from Pet Cemetery, I realize it's super forgettable and it's not like
2: Oh, it was bad. It's it was very a bad
0: movie. early two thousands and it's bad, but it's like not in the am- it's not something you'll remember. No, being it's bad. For, it was it's like, madness, oh, I'm not yeah. going to watch that again. So it's nice to watch Hellboy for the reason that we get to, you know, pontificate on a film that is lauded for its, uh, and by, by loud, I'm using lauded incorrectly, but correctly, for its uh, it's brash arrogance to defy any sort of logic or, uh, Cinematic decency, as it were. It it, it revels in the. I guess,
2: why are people saying that?
0: I don't think it does. It just stinks. And I think it, I think it revels in it. It's it's like it is like the 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 pig who has found the trash on the ground. It's the, like the, the mud and is and is no Mario. rolling around in it. It's like the pig stretching out that has and found
2: wh- the arm in the reliquary, and is. And Is trying to open the box with the prayer, but it eats. That's eat lips, which
0: that never happens. That, that, how'd that lips. not come back again? I don't know. I thought that was gonna come back several times.
2: That should have right, come back. Was, that was an interesting little thing. And it never came back. So this is this is Neil Marshall, who directed what else? Uh, Neil script? Marshall. So I I actually
0: have been you tell had a me. complex relationship with Neil Marshall. His first two films, her first two major films, Dog Soldiers, a werewolf military sort of movie. Sure, and um. The Scent, which is a movie about a group of women who get stuck during a cave-in and counter humanoid monsters, um, are really super excellent horror movies. Like some of the best, nice little introductions that happened around the same time as the new French extremity movement, uh, like with Claire Denis and Alexander Asia, and uh, like movies like Frontiers and whatnot. But um, you know, so so his, his early horror movies were extremely excellent, and then he'd go on to make Centurion and um doomsday I want to say I think it was doomsday the 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 Rhonda mitra mitra horror mm, sci-fi movie and they're they're they're
2: they stink, mm-hmm.
0: so I don't know what happened I think Neil Marshall was maybe replaced with a changeling
2: or he got too much
0: <laughs> no replaced with the changeling makes <laughs> no sense sure
2: yeah yeah he got replaced with a tiny pig yeah um it is a reboot of, of the Hellboy series written. Well, it's not called a reboot. It's, it's, a, it's a movie that no, uses the reboot. same comic characters. <clears throat> it's a reboot in the sense that they, they reestablish like the origin story. Um,
0: they also reestablish the origin stories of than... everything. <laughs> there are approximately 17,000 flashbacks.
2: You like those flashbacks.
0: I did. I like. <laughs> we're going to have an interesting conversation about You know about the why movie. the
2: flashbacks were awesome? Because they all took place on one set. Mm -hmm. i mean not like the same set but they didn't like spend any money to make those flashbacks it's just one of them's in a jungle it's just a guy turning around in a jungle and one of them is just in an apartment and it's just they just came out of that apartment so apparently she lives in that apartment forever yeah i guess
0: and and when they go in the flashback they she was in the same apartment yeah and you know just because they don't want to replace sets that'd be crazy um
2: So we didn't even say. This is a reboot of of the Hellboy series uh, written and drawn by Mike Mignola. It's, it's, you know, the Dark Horse, uh, the cornerstone of the Dark Horse catalog. Um, Two earlier movies in 2004 and 2008 were made by Guillermo del Toro, starring uh, Ron Perlman slash Hellboy, because Ron Perlman is just Hellboy. Yeah, because
0: the Hellboy character in this was definitely made to look... I mean, Ron Perlman already looked... Mostly like the Hellboy comic, but this like tried to make it look like the comic and also Ron Perlman. <laughs> they wanted Ron Perlman to stay on. Well, it's
2: funny they wanted no, they well, yeah, they did. But Ron Perlman said he'd only do it. If, <laughs> no, he would only do it if Guillermo del Toro was um, directing. And they were just like, well, we don't want to do that. And he's like, well, I'm not going to do your movie. But
0: Guillermo del Toro originally did want to do a third installment, yeah. but he wanted 120 million dollars.
2: He always wants 120 million dollars to do everything.
0: It's true, because I think he won $120 million for At the mount of, at Mounds mm. of Madness. So Did. I I really don't think Guillermo Latour, Maybe Guillermo del Toro doesn't understand budgets, and he's just always like, "Oh, well, I made this movie for $20 million. But he needs... So he, more! I mean, $100 million. If, if, It's like, Guillermo del you can't make this movie on
2: $120 If the Golden Army proves anything, it should be to, to just give him the money. Because he's going to make something that looks like Pan's Labyrinth, and then he's going to continue the what? Pan's Labyrinth thing, and he's going to make something that looks like... The Golden Army, which is an unbelievable really?
0: movie. What's 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 silly to me is you know Golden Army didn't make a ton of money back. In like 2008, he made 160 million dollars worldwide off 85 million dollar budget. So he wanted you know 45, 35 extra million dollars. This movie in this Renaissance like that. Hellboy came out right after Incredible Hulk and. Iron Man, where there might have been some superhero fatigue, but also fatigue with the earlier kind of superhero films. But it wasn't after it's like true renaissance, like Guillermo del Toro, post or you know post well, so Pan's lab like, Well, was this like was post Pan's Laver, but like I mean, after like something like Shape of Water and uh, things that he's made yeah, to he like would reestablish think that he would
2: himself. Be able to after an Oscar, after a Best Picture and a Best Director, you would think he'd be able to get. I mean,
0: I assume that they said no before he had won the oscar but like shape of water was already sure. gaining well, talk
2: you know what i don't know if they said no before he uh won the oscar because this movie looks like it was made in like an hour and a half yeah it looks like it was made in real time it looks it, no i think it was actually terrible yeah, i think it was made in an hour and a half this
0: movie's slightly over two hours long they somehow broke laws of entropy to create new energy like they, This might be a perpetual motion machine in the fact that they made it so quickly that they broke space-time. Mm-hmm. This is actually what they took a photo of for that supermassive black hole was just a shot of this production. Because it consumed energy outside sure, of it yeah, to yeah. produce more. I
2: actually think that happened in a Cowboy comic. Um, so David Harbour from Stranger Things and other stuff, I guess, takes over from uh, Ron Perlman. Uh, Mila Jovovich plays the Blood Queen. Um Ian McShane plays um Hellboy's father who is the scientist who was at Hellboy's being birthed into this world.
0: Ian McShane just sounds drunk throughout most of this production. Well, I
2: don't understand. I mean Was no, he
0: channeling John Hurt? Do you think John Hurt was also a, a raging
2: alcoholic? He was, not only was he drunk through this whole thing, but when like a sorceress and he even says it, like a sorceress is Like, letting loose a plague in London that they're pretty sure is going to destroy the whole world in less than, like, 48 hours. And it's still just a bunch of guys in a room looking at books. And he even says, when they know where she is, she's on the street, just ripping people's faces off of this plague, and he says, where the hell is she? Well, I'm pretty sure they just... (laughs) Showed her on the news. And if we don't know where she is, we do know where the bone demons are that are knocking over bridges and stepping on people and consuming them with fire and just ripping them in half. A la bone tomahawk. I like I like that that homage to the the split down the middle scene in bone tomahawk. Do we really, think
0: that was an homage?
2: No, but it was they just did the same thing. Yeah. Except there was a video game amount of wet blood that just splattered every. Yeah,
0: we're, we're going to talk about the special effects at some point. Um,
2: <laughs> Sasha Lane plays Alice Monahan, who's, I guess, someone that Hellboy came to help her parents because of uh, a fairy. The fairy stole her and put a pig changeling in her place and that pig comes back later to exact revenge on Hellboy. Uh, Daniel Day Kim plays Ben Damio, he is. I guess he's kind of the Abe Sapien character in this, and that he's also he can turn into a jaguar when he gets emotionally mad. I mean,
0: he won't be the Abe Sapien character if this somehow makes a ton of money, which, oh uh, god, we hope not.
2: I actually don't think this is gonna make any money. No,
0: I, I think I think all the people we saw in the theater today were all the people that went to go see this movie in total.
2: I mean, not, we don't really need to talk about weekend box office stuff, but I'm pretty sure this is gonna be like a last. It's gonna be a Shazam. Last ditch effort for people to go see Captain Marvel before, and us before everyone just goes see to see Avengers mm. next week type of thing. Two weeks, um, two weeks. I don't think this is going to make any money. It's going to be removed very quickly from theaters to make way for more Avengers screenings. Um, <laughs> and week- then well, two weeks from
0: now, you eat your words as it's made five hundred million dollars. I don't think so, Mario.
2: Unless people catch on that the best performance in this movie. Comes from our good friend Thomas Hayden Church As Lobster Johnson (laughs) Who has maybe
0: five minutes of screen time Filmed on, I can only assume, one soundstage Two completely different sets But I think they filmed it behind Like a Nazi kind of setting And then a graveyard I believe the graveyard was right behind it Because Thomas Hayden Church gave them three hours of his time It had to have been And (laughs) did his best Lowell Mathers (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he didn't even try with to... gravity, like gra- some gravitas to his voice. Lowell Matters, if Lowell, Lowell Matters got scored really well on a test, and just he did knock it out of the park I wanted I wanted a lot more Thomas A. if that this movie was just all Thomas A and Church and David Harbor just like
2: bickering mm. at each other, it probably would' have been good. It probably would have been good. Um, because that yeah, that last the, the post-credit scene was very funny. yeah, and even when he came, when the Nazis were trying to were trying to get Hellboy to come to Earth. Um, I don't think it was supposed to be funny, but it was. It was funny how someone just shouted the lobster when they showed up, and Lowell Mathers' voice just started coming from the guy in the weird mask with the lobster on on his shirt. Yeah, yeah, that was super cool.
0: And let's not forget, also, we had Stephen Graham playing a hog. Like, character um,
2: who says fuck all the time,
0: yeah, who's basically playing every Stephen Graham role from any Guy Ritchie or whatnot sort of mobster <clears throat> film of the mid 2000s. Why couldn't they get
2: Ray Winstone to play that character? <laughs>
0: I know, that, that would, would be no, agree. awesome. And we got not Domahill Gleason, Brian Gleason, oh, yeah, not playing, as good playing Merlin. Playing why why my... did they have a 31 year old man playing Merlin?
2: I kept hoping it was going to be Michael Palin. <laughs> From Life of Brian, the guy who's—I think—is that Michael Palin or is that Terry Jones? I can't remember. Who uh, Graham Chapman like steps on his foot when he jumps into that hole to escape the mob of people that are chasing him? Um, it looks like the same thing. It looks like a Monty Python character. It's just an old guy with with mud all over his face, and then he dies. This movie looks like
0: it you was, used, was a used by magic. This movie looks like it was a failed Monty Python um, sketch, but written. Of course, we have to say written uh, by by Andrew Cosby, because oh boy, oh boy, co-creator of the show Eureka, Eureka, Jesus, Eureka. And, um, I guess he also wrote some stuff about Warhammer. I guess some comic, other comic books, comic books about Warhammer. And Twenty-eight days later, Die Hard comic book.
2: There's good for Die Hard comic book.
0: Yeah, he this this uh this script stinks. Oh yeah, like that's that's where we start with.
2: It's very bad.
0: This is. Quite possibly, one of the most god awful screenplays I have ever ever encountered. I do not understand who read this, the script,
2: stared at it, and was like, "You know what? Let's go for it." Like I know they're probably you know, trying what, to rush this it, production. The creator of the comic book and the character looked I, at it and said, "Yari." Yeah, I mean, I figured that when he opened up the script, there was, like, the
0: check <laughs> for producing this film, and he's like, yeah, it's, that's good. And just passed it right along. <laughs> um, it open, like it opens so <laughs> ridiculously with this really fun, if you want to call it fun,
2: 5th, well, I mean, 6th
0: century uh, killing of, of Mila Jovovich's blood queen. Um, and and the thing that I love about this, and this is, like, the first of so many flashbacks, uh, is the fact that, you know, you have Ian McShane randomly throwing F-bombs during his description. Um,
2: as, <laughs> like, a crow eats the eye out of a guy. Yeah, it as opens long up with
0: a crow consuming an eye. Um, and, you know, yeah, yeah, fucking, like, the fucking name, because that's what the... You know, Dark Ages were, and then when they kill Milla Jovovich's character, Merlin actually describes. I can't remember exactly what he says, but he does an exposition dump.
2: Oh, the prayer thing?
0: No, not the prayer thing. Where he says, "Like, oh no, yeah, it could only be spoken by the word of God." It's like, yeah, I think all the people there would know this already. They, they, they would know that this this plan that involves hijacking, you know, Milla Jovovich's blood queen. They would know that it needs to be spoken by the by the word of God. So you know, do it you- doesn't the audience. And Merlin knew that the audience was watching. And that would be interesting if it was self-aware. Because there's other parts later in the film where they talk about, oh, we gotta make sure she doesn't come back for the sequel and, and whatnot. That tried to do this like, clever little fourth wall breaking. But then this movie kind of like, dovetails into like self-seriousness for a long time with the script. Uh-huh. And like the jokes don't... Even like what tries to joke, it doesn't land. But then what, it takes serious moments, like spoilers when Ian McShane dies and tries to do some some weight to it and you're like, oh no film. No, d- don't do this. You wanna pat you wanna find Andrew Cosby, pat him on the head and go like, Buddy, do not write anything well, you know what? ever you, again. You know what takes I don't want you to actually interact with the English language. You
2: know what takes the real gravity out of like, you know, Ian McShane's character dying, which, you know, it's Hellboy's father, it's father adoptive father, it's the only father he's ever knew, he's taught him all this stuff, blah blah blah. Making the climax of the movie hinge on ian mcshane coming out of the mouth of sasha lane's character as a weird goo-covered worm to yell at <laughs> to yell at hellboy who has just taken excalibur out of the stone and is now unbeknownst to him summoned a horde of demons from the underworld up to kill everybody um, and and as let, as let, it,
0: let this be known, the goo-like creature, the horde of demons, the, the horns, the, the flaming Excalibur, all done with CGI that I believe was founded in the PS1 classic Armageddon featuring the voice of Bruce Willis, <laughs> I think I have seen better graphics in a, a Gex or Crash Bandicoot video game. Yeah,
2: Crash Bandicoot has some good graphics.
0: I mean, they remastered Crash Bandicoot, and yeah. and that looks even superior well, to that. I mean, I, I,
2: my favorite thing about this that scene is that like all this stuff is happening, and David Harbor as Hellboy is just standing with a sword on his shoulders, just with his hip out, just kind of like, just kind of like. Ugh. Ugh. What's happening here? David Harbour's what like... What direction did you get to do
0: this? Stranger Things isn't paying me enough. I
2: mean, I mean, the best part about the beginning scene that you were just described to get back on track um, in terms of like how the script is terrible is when King Arthur, or who we know is King Arthur because Ian McShane has told us the words King Arthur like a thousand times. Yes, he really... Ex- well, King, Arthur, like, yeah. King Arthur, King Arthur, King Arthur, blah, blah, blah. No, yes, that King, that King Arthur. Arthur. And then he takes his... Sword. Actual
0: line from the actual script written by actual human being Andrew Cosby. And
2: then... Milo Jovovich's character says, like, no weapon made of man can no kill me. No more weapon can kill me. And then she takes out, he takes out Excalibur and she says, Excalibur! As, as if we don't know that King Arthur's sword is called Excalibur. And I was saying to Mario right after the fact, if you don't think that people watching this movie are going to know that King Arthur's sword is called Excalibur, then don't put King Arthur in the movie. Yeah. Just don't, then just don't put him in because they probably don't even know who King Arthur is anyway. So just oh, this, this entire there.
0: script like hinges on our theory and myth, which
2: did the comic? How is hell? I don't. When did Hellboy become a descendant of King Arthur? Is this? Is this? I, 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 I don't know if that's up. canon. It just seems crazy to me. I hope it's not canon. And I, if it is canon, it's a piss poor way of showing it, it. It it is. It is canon. It is canon. All right. If that that's fine. Are we really thinking that an expo- exposition dump by Merlin? is who has been underground for 1500 years um which i actually don't think was this doesn't feel like it was a
0: major part of the canon though it feels like it maybe was like a couple of comic books and like okay let's use this one
2: yeah and so he knows he's very spry for someone who's been underground for 1500 years and has used up all of his magic to raise excalibur up from the ocean, even though Excalibur was really under a church the whole time? Why didn't he just tell him that it was in that church?
0: I don't know. It's it's from uh, the Storm and Fury comic, um, which would have been 2011 or 2010. So, right. late, 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 late Hellboy. Yeah. Post the, the Guillermo del Toro movies where, you know... Maybe maybe He's, Mike McNully should have just been focusing on just Guillermo del Toro stories. I mean,
2: it's, I mean, I don't know how much more we want to go into this movie, but I mean, it's a pretty lot. bad. I think a lot. All right, what else? It's,
0: it's. There was. In the end, I didn't like this movie. But I have to admit, for the first 40 minutes, I kind of loved the fuck out of this movie because it was so bad that it was it was good. And it eventually loses the thread because it gets it starts taking itself super self seriously. I think
2: after the giant after hunt.
0: Alice Alice is introduced the Sasha Lane character and she does a good job. She does a serviceable job. Um, it, it loses itself because it tries all, all these elements of of danger and, and elements of like things that could show the human side of Hellboy. And uh. I didn't give a shit. But like that giant hunt, <laughs> backed with Psycho by Muse. Like I love that they're like let's get let's get a drone song in here, let's get some late muse. Um, um, yeah, that,
2: gi- that giant hunt scene was very. Funny. It was
0: great. I thought, originally thought it was going to be the original like instrumental backing during the giant hunt. Then uh, it's like no, you definitely you get the Matt Bellamy vocals, so they could say "fucking psycho." <laughs> um, and that that entire like build up is fun. I mean, it's ridiculous, and the fact that they impale him. Electrify him while he's standing in water, and part of that metal's touching it. And they've explained that it's eleven or five times more powerful the current than an electric chair. Those people are standing in water, in water which is a conductor. But they also a conductor are of electricity, full,
2: and they're wearing like full armor because it's tradition when they go on a giant hunt to wear full also, Arthurian also, armor and you a would, deer head. You would
0: think they would kill the giants first. And, and then, then kill, then Hell kill Hellboy. Because yeah. he'd probably be tired. Like, let Hellboy do a lot of the heavy lifting. Then you kill Hellboy. Well, because
2: I thought right after it happened, I was like, well, maybe there wasn't a giant, and they just made it up.
0: Also, do, but they don't but even need... they said need... it was
2: three giants, and there was three giants. So they clearly knew that. And he says, like, we didn't need you to kill giants. Like, then why is he here? Like, I guess just to kill him, but why not just send someone to kill him or yeah. something? And what's also interesting is they want to kill him
0: to prevent the union of Hellboy and Debu whatever fucking ne- name. Ne- 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 Naymu. The Blood Naya- Queen. Naya- um, they don't the union of that. Because, like, you know, he'll reign on Earth with Excalibur, which is needed to kill her. The issue I have with this, from a logic standpoint, which is probably an issue that people should have with me, and I'm trying to find logic in this film, is you kill Hellboy, the only living descendant of Arthur, according to this. Yep. The only thing that can kill this Blood Queen, who, by herself, with no need whatsoever of Hellboy, can fully regain her powers to raise an army of fantastical creatures who have the ability to kill many humans. And she has this massive plague, which the BBC, in that nice little exposition dump, tells us will wipe out the world without any help from Hellboy. You know, yeah, they want to kill Hellboy to prevent the Union to prevent hell on Earth. Pretty sure She's hell on earth came going, there for like she, five minutes. Also, she is going to kill all of humanity if Hellboy's dead. She's, if Hellboy's dead, she just does what she intends to do, and there's
2: nobody there to stop her. Well, something that I found really interesting, I've always found really interesting about the comic books, is that it, the villains are never satisfied to just kind of like defeat Hellboy or to kind of, um, you know, control a certain portion of the world or a certain enterprise or whatever um, Rasputin always wants to destroy the world like the Nazis were always trying to destroy the world they just were that's what their their goal was to bring him out to dis- to usher in the destruction of civilization and not so the Nazis could reign I never thought but just because if this is a shithole this is a cesspool like a, in a very th- Thanosy way but without, like, the weird empathy for their kids.
0: Well, excuse me. Thanos only want, wants to save the, world,
2: the universe. Well, I think they think... I think if I read the comic books more... They think it's going usher in a new sort of... Type of thing. Of a- yeah, a, a new yeah. Eden. That's, they mention that a lot of times. Like, oh, we'll bring a new Eden, Boba. Um, so I guess the point would be that to really ruin the world, they need Hellboy. Because she can only give people viruses, and then it's just her and the demons... I do Not know if that's Not even a the demons; good it's just ma- fantastical creatures. Yeah. Well, I like how she raised the. I mean, army. she was going to do it anyway, though.
0: She <sighs> was going to do it anyway, even without Hellboy. She, she was, was doing it. Yeah. She was. She didn't even know of Hellboy's existence until she saw Hellboy in the, in the Osiris Cyrus Club. So, like, she was. She was set on those goals. Um. But yeah. Now, overall, it's a bad movie. It's fun in the beginning. I think at parts Neil Marshall knew what he was doing. Was trying to make a bad. Like it felt like he was trying to make a very tongue-in-cheek he movie. Was,
2: it was ridiculous. The yeah. thing
0: that kind of sold it for me is um, at the very ending when it does that single take scene where they're going to get to Abe Sapiens, um, thing, like they're doing something else, but they end up in Abe Sapiens. Um,
2: yeah.
0: A uh, little little holding cell, and um, what's that song? Can't stop my heart,
2: uh, or uh, Kickstart my heart.
0: Kickstart my heart plays, and there was a movie from the mid two thousands called Shoot 'Em Up with Clive Owen. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. you remember that? Mm-hmm. That opens with. Kickstart my heart and is very tongue in cheek. It's Paul Giamatti, you know, yeah, overacting yeah, yeah. his ass off. It, there's a carrots that are used multiple times, and that was the, that scene and some of the other things felt very tongue in cheek, and it felt like Neil Marshall knew what he was doing there. But like, man, everyone else in this film took it way too seriously. Are way too like grind lordy, like edge lordy, like a lot of a lot of skin being ripped off near the ending, which is it felt like they didn't, which is it, cool. But it's it's, it's it's not cool when it's really it's not really terrible god awful CGI. Well, I mean
2: I, I remember the, um
0: and like I like the practical gore. The practical gore effects were kind of fun. I I thought like all the dead bodies in the Osiris club looked pretty decent. Brains I mean, don't
2: brains don't look like that, but like they tried. Here's what I'll say about the practical gore though. There was a lot of arms just kind of like being thrown around. No, the, the, the arms. The someone... arms
0: being thrown. Oh, sorry, I hit the, <laughs> the arms being thrown around was CGI gore. Like the the bodies, no, 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 th- the I limbs mean, that which were. Scene was it? The limbs of the actor, the giants are eating people. Like those, are all, practic- like, all, no, 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 all practical. Like all, almost all practical. Not that head- good. There was,
2: a, there was one when they were doing something in a house. Um,
0: Oh, when they're trying oh, to like, like, put some... it back together, and like he's killed the the warthog,
2: maybe, and there's just like arms being mm. thrown against the wall. And I'm just like, why are there so many arms? And like, why are they just being thrown here? His arms are, arms are cheap. Oh, see? it was when the warthog go- bursts into the um, the, the church, church, which is hilarious because they, it's a vow of silence, and they need to speak the prayer to open up the the chains. Which also, well, another
0: another hundred percent funny thing is this movie introduces so many things really quickly that are kind of interesting or like, what is this? And abandons it. Like the Bobby Yaga kind of side story just kind of like never plays, off, plays out. Well, like, thing- like it's like the entire I think I guess they're singing that for a sequel. But also the fact, because um, I guess she doesn't die. But, you know, that hog-like um, changeling can tear the mouths off people and consume them to gain their voice. And you think they would have introduced another character at some point to kill so that he could do that to trick one of our main characters. But he does it once. He just does the, 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 the breaking off yeah, of the mouth and eating once. And it's like, oh, you, well, why why not, just have, why not just have the guy break his vow of science and then have the, the hog kill him?
2: Well, I mean, I think the, the interesting thing about this... It's not interesting. I think the interesting thing to think about when you're thinking about this movie is that you have something... You have something like the first two Hellboy movies, but specifically the Golden Army, that is so cons- every frame of it is so considered. Maybe the story's not so great. Doug Jones is not really an actor. You know, there's some there's some problems with it, um,
0: but problems are so forgivable because of how exactly. good the world
2: building is. Right, that's exactly what I was going to say, and. There's literally zero of that here. There's no world there's building There's No world building, there's no consideration to anything. David Harbor as looks like shit. And I'm pretty sure that when he's sanding off of his like his horns, I'm fairly confident I saw them move a couple of times. Like in the makeup. There is like a, they actually, did not seem like they were stable like a stable part of his Well, head. there's a
0: couple other parts where there's a part where after like Mila Jovovich's character comes back to her full self where her one aunt, like no she, after she gets shot in the eye she right. her eyes moving back and there's a bit of red to it and I was like oh it's like supposed to be bloody and I realized I don't think it is I think it's actually the correction they do when doing CGI oh, they I
2: didn't.
0: think they might have left it yeah. in and there's another part where like Hellboy's walking and he sees some like white come off of his horns uh-huh. and I think that was I think that might have been a part of like the 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 Prosthetics Mm. coming off because there's no reason for a bunch of like white dust to suddenly fall off his horns. He hadn't been thrown through a wall or anything. It was just a walking scene.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Introducing like a before and after scene, but like if you notice, I mean, I I guess I would say to people don't see this movie and just watch Hellboy two. If you watch Ron Perlman with the the huge right hand, um, it's moving the whole time on his hand. You know what I mean? And it doesn't. It's not hanging down to his ankles. Because they've created a prosthetic that allows it to be a hand still. And probably, and I'm assuming the
0: animatronic, for the most part. Sure, whatever.
2: But they've made it so when we're looking at it as a viewer, we're just like, that's just his hand. It works like a hand. David Harbour is clearly holding on to a huge prop, a bar inside of a huge prop with his fist the whole fucking movie. Except for the one couple of times when they needed to do something. And then, I'm assuming they just—it's—he's just holding something green and they CGI'd it, because that—but that's the problem with this movie is that they were just like, yeah, whatever. It's just a huge hand, right? They're hand to do want to spend
0: 120 million dollars, whatever. Like, you probably should have made this movie. Probably should have thought this movie was gonna make enough money to recover anything anyway. But like, you had to put more than 50 million. You either you had to do one of two things. Thing number one. Put more than fifty million dollars into this. spend like sixty or seventy. Thing number two, if you didn't want to do that, fucking dial back here what you what you hope to do. Make it a little more of a contained movie because mm-hmm. when your CGI looks this shitty and most of your movie movie is really c- shitty CGI, it shows. Like when she's the the blood queen is regaining the blood, the life force from the oak the the tree. Not the I don't no. You didn't it. like
2: just the gelatinous redness. The
0: the the, the blood that I would. I would be comfortable saying looks worse than the f- blood from the Frighteners. <laughs> a 1990, I believe, six... But that's Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson film.
2: That's fucking Peter Jackson. He's going to make yeah. some blood.
0: But like, 1996 gore. CGI gore. Yeah, oh, yeah. Looks, looks better than this. And and, CG, and even, like, shitty movies that would come later. 13 Ghosts. There is a lot of CGI... I don't know so much CGI, but like, like House on Hill or any hey, of those, like, early 2000s, like, kind of trying to be gory horror movies. Uh 13D 13, 13 um ghosts, especially when uh from Amadeus um what's his name? It's the actor F Murray Abraham. F Marie Abraham gets like killed and he got CGI blood. That all looks better than yeah. whatever the fuck they were doing with this kind of like milky um like red jello Blood, and it's especially bad when, like, then you see the practical blood and the practical gore, and it actually looks decent. Like, it looks like they did some work with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And this is just, I guess, the final thing to really hang our hat on with this is the fact that Andrew Cosby has made more off this movie than both you and I have made in the past three years combined.
2: Well, I've made zero dollars in the last three years. So yes,
0: and that last last <laughs> three years of, of earnings that you made. Oh, yeah. Last three years of my earnings combined. Everyone
2: that involved in this movie made more than that. But
0: No, I'm fine I'm I'm fine with like Neil Marshall and David Harbour and all those people making it. Andrew Cosby. I don't know him. Don't know the man. He might be a, a fine gent I'm not gonna say that. I don't know the man. He's might might be a decent human being in his day to day life. But he beget unto this world. <laughs> The screenplay that is Hellboy.
2: The Nazis got together and formed a circle and chanted. And what I, came yeah, out of there? The was Andrew Cosby's <laughs>
0: script for this film. And uh, for that, I, I believe there has to be some penance at some point. I, if there's a Hellboy sequel, if this somehow makes money, I hope it is... They name a character Andrew Crosby and <laughs> chop his head off early in the movie? Excuse me, Andrew Cosby.
2: Andrew, Andrew Cosby.
0: Um, we got to really associate that last name with other awful human beings. Uh... Not not comparing you, to Andrew. Cosby. And not Cosby. great
2: human beings like Sidney Crosby.
0: Yeah, not comparing it to Bill Cosby, Andrew Cosby. You're probably better than that. I hope. Um, but but this is this is evidence of of, a, of an alternate world out there that, that hates us because this script does not come from the brain of a man. This script comes from
2: maybe Andrew Cosby is like somewhere. a robot.
0: Or maybe what's what's the character oh, in the mouth of Bandus, the author? Um, in that uh, I can't remember the name, but maybe the Andrew Cosby's that man, and like he's just he's just drafting the thing that will tear apart the cosmic Fred mm-hmm. and beget unto us the, the new world. So let's don't see Hellboy to prevent the tear in reality damage, yeah. <laughs> that destroys our brains.
2: All right, we will be uh, right back with our number sixty sevens.
0: We have talked about, in the past, films that show up on both Tom and I's list, and so far in this podcast, we've only encountered the films that were the first introduction to those crossovers. We haven't had yet the the second introduction to the film. We haven't had the follow-up conversation, conversation, as it were. Today, my good listeners, that changes.
2: They've been waiting for it.
0: I know, they have been. My number 67 is the only Alejandro González-Nutu film I like, in all honesty. Don't like him whatsoever, really. Birdman did nothing for me. I hate, with an absolute undying... Passion. Where's this going? Babel. Oh yeah, me too. Babel's. Babbel's terrible. Terrible. Twenty one grams. This is fine, but it's bad still as bad. bad as but
2: it's a tough watch.
0: However, in 2015, he directed The Revenant. <laughs>
2: thing to do would be to you know, finish him off quick He should to be cared for as long as necessary
1: i understand get away help
0: what happened we did what we had to do he was buried right talked about the revenant before it tells the story of hugh glass which is played by leonardo dicaprio as he makes his way through the woods after being attacked by a bear and left for dead um seeking vengeance on uh little tom hardy
2: as as are we all
0: yeah We're not going to talk too much about the plot there. But Tom talked about this previously, and now Tom will be able to kind of further carry on the conversation. It's episode
2: 86 if anyone wants to kind of like stitch them together. I'd actually
0: looked it up and and forgot to mention that as episode 86. Hmm. Um, Not a lot of really new, new movies show up on my list because not a lot of new movies have made a gigantic impact on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is not to say that movies. Now are, are any worse. They're still making movies with with the force that are that are great. But for me, as I get older, I become a little harder to see something that is pivotal. That's something that really punches me in the gut. And the Revenant does this. Um, some of the movies we've talked about in the past that I really like, and some of the movies we'll definitely talk about in the future, um, all share a common thread of of cinema verite. I'm a big fan of that real-life, new-wave-ish style of film. Um, the film that gets down to the grit and dirt of it all. The film that shows life in a lens that is still somewhat dramatic, but, but is conceptualized as real. You know, We talked extensively about Bicycle Thieves. And movies that even have magical realism, like Happy as Lazaro, still start out with a really grounded... Um, sense of Mm -hmm. of of trueness uh one of the cornerstones of cinema verite though is it's it's really documentary style feel without visual effects without huge amounts of artistic exposure the revenant is has artistic exposure and uses a lot of visual effects but it is still a film that i believe now carries on the the mantle to the wider world of cinema verite and and evolves it, and that's the reason it is one of the new move, one of the few new movies as pivotal to me, in the sense that Alejandro uh, Gonzalez Nutu took 135 million dollars, a movie that drastically went over budget, I believe, drastically went over its production schedule. If I if I remember correctly, I remember there being a lot of worries about being a, a failure because of the expense taken for it. Yeah. Um, and the grueling production struggle, uh, the schedule and everything made with this. Well, and I think it
2: was one of those things where, I don't think it was like a water world scenario where it was like going to pieces. It was just like, the weather stinks, and this yeah. is just taking us longer and, than with, we wanted to. You know,
0: Leonardo DiCaprio just beating the shit out of himself because he needed yeah. that Oscar. What you got? You got for this? Um, but this is... For all that's, you know, faults in historical accuracy, is, is that new wave of cinema verite to me. It is raw. It is dirty. It is a struggle. It is a film that you watch and put your jacket back on because it is an unrelenting exposure of cold. It feels cold. It is constantly a cold movie. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of movies that are pretty cold. You know, even Arctic recently, the Joe Penna movie I really liked doesn't capture, and it's even more of a cold environment, but doesn't capture the amount of bone chillingness that this does because it is on the
2: ground. Well, I mean, so you're bringing up lots of interesting things, and thank um, you, Gold Star, Gold Star to me. And this is because we just Laughed watched, my own joke, just I, <laughs> I just we just watched this movie, like. Um, however many months ago this was Um, and so it's interesting to think about at
0: least 21 weeks ago
2: at least Um, it's interesting to think about all those things that you said in terms of like cinema verite because I kind of had that same having watched it again so recently um, I kind of had that same I had the same thought Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that Like I said, he's not doing a lot of special effects. He's really just shooting nature. And he's using nature. But he's not just shooting nature like, you know, like a planet Earth kind of nature documentary where they're just kind of like, look at this animal. Look what this animal does. It does this thing. And then, oh, now there's this other animal. We're going to watch this animal do this thing. He's using the sounds of nature and the colors and the textures and all this other stuff to convey... Um, like the emotion, the inner emotions of of these characters, you know what I mean. And to that end, the cold that you're feeling when you're watching this is not like an arctic cold where you're watching it and you're like, wow, that must be cold. You're just like, holy shit, I would, I would just die if I was this cold. Like that's what you're feeling when you're watching, when you watch Glass get out of the water after having, you know, um. Ran away from uh, from the re and like has floated down those rapids and stuff like that. He just like sticks his hands in his mouth. You just kind of wonder the whole time, why even bother? You know what I mean? Like, why are you even doing this? Um, and I guess you understand why you're, he's 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 doing it, but um, you still have that conversation with the, the the film and with the character. Like, if it was me, I would not. <laughs> I would not have the wherewithal to do those things. I would also not stand in the water so frequently wearing all the clothes that I have because um, I'm assuming that stuff's not going to dry very quick, but that's it's a different conversation. Um,
0: but yeah. My interesting thing here, though, is... is there is a Salon article written by uh, Marie uh, Lee, um right after the release of the Revenant and uh the what would be the eventual best picture winner spotlight. Talking actually a lot about Cinema Verite um and the attempt at brutish rawness in the Revenant mm-hmm. and saying that to her it felt too masculine in a lot of ways. That it, it, it says it says in a certain way, she she even mentions um in a part where she says that, that the rawness and and inherent kind of grittiness and cold of it rested so much in this sense of puffed-up masculinity. And she said, If I'm sounding harsh on the movie, The Revenant, it's because it's practically audibly demands that we receive it as art. If we don't, we're pussies. But it isn't something you can purchase via uh, expensive effects in a PR firm. And she goes on to say that that Spotlight more captures that... Restrained tone and quiet voices, and captures more cinema verite. uh, No, I I vehemently. I think Spotlight's a bad movie. I'm going to stand out here and say Spotlight's not really not a bad movie. It's just it isn't good. It is it is it's forgettable to me.
2: Spotlight is a movie.
0: It's a movie, yeah, but it's not. The Revenant is it's not doing. Spotlight isn't doing anything. Profound or anything Anything they even closely resembles, resemble To me like it's so it, Like you want to talk about hamfisted. fisted Someone's performances in Spotlight are So punch you on the nose Over the top that you would see In a film like Network You know a movie I do not like either Because like Network's so over the top yeah. With it with its emoting And Revenant definitely at times goes a bit over the top. I think I think the bear attack sequence is a bit much. I think it kind of revels in in kind of the gore. Um, I think DiCaprio's performance at times goes a little high um, and and reaches a bit. Which parts? I I think um, mostly when he's coming out of the water and and burns like the throat and whatnot. There's there's like
2: it's awesome.
0: It's awesome, but like there's a lot to that. I think Tom Hardy does a does a better job for me. I, I think, no, no yeah, that's a point of disagreement we've had for three plus years now. Where I, I love Tom Hardy in this movie. I think there's a, a lot of restraint. I like Tom to Hardy's doing, in this movie. and I, I Will think Poultier just, is also doing a ex, really excellent job in this too. And I think yeah. DiCaprio is kind of acting, whereas like. Tom Hardy and Will well, to kind of bring it
2: back a bit. I mean, so then the, my, the reason that my, this movie is 86 for me is because the movie doesn't just let Leonardo DiCaprio say nothing for the whole movie. Yeah, Because it, when it he needs has to, to talk, something. when he's talking, like in the beginning of the movie or the very end of the movie, he's just Leonardo DiCaprio. Ooh, look, at that. look at the sediment on I the know, bottom of the like Hellboy there. But and it's that's... actually, it's maintained its, its okayness. Yeah, I, I talked actually earlier,
0: here. as a side quick aside, that I thought it was too much of this. But it actually ended up being a perfectly fine amount I,
2: I, didn't. I mean it's not this beer I mean no so we're, all, from, we're drinking the uh, we're going back to another bottle of the elder mother from uh, Springdale because it is just fantastic. freaking good um,
0: but like she she has a lot of complaints about um about the the trueness of the film about how glass never kind of found you know, retribution ended up, you know, having a stern talking to about ethics and forgiving them. And like, you know, this movie revels too much in its masculinity. And I don't think it does. It, it, it definitely has a machismo to it at parts, but it's not like, it doesn't revel in it. It doesn't honor that.
2: I know there aren't any women in it. I mean, except for his, except for his wife or, you know, um, girlfriend. I I don't think they ever established like who Hawk's mother. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, so there's there's that, but I mean, I'm not. And this
0: is a complaint I heard about constantly with the Revenant when it first came out that it was too much,
2: you know, of of its own accord, too much of trying to be gritty and grizzly. But and I think it's. But I think it's. I kind of. I mean, I'd be interested to hear which parts are too gritty or too grisly. You know what I mean? And she says, mentions a bear
0: attack. She mentions like bear, falling off the the horse, going off the mountain, which is
2: which is fantastic. I mean, what else do you want to? That's the thing. In some, in some instances, I want a movie to do what Spotlight is doing. I want it to be well composed. I want it to be not trying to do too much. Uh, I want it to make like have the actors make some good, interesting choices. Um, but you have to do those in service to something that is higher than we're just here to make a solid flick. You know what I mean? And Spotlight to me is a solid flick. The idea that yeah, Spotlight I, I, wins, I, I best think I'm a little a too, little
0: too harsh yeah, on yeah. saying it's not a bad movie. It just is a movie. The like idea
2: that said. Spotlight is one best picture over The Revenant is 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 preposterous because it's just not. And a it's better not so much
0: like we don't talk about best picture like we do talk about best picture a lot, but it's it's just kind of like drilling in that it was like the, this critical drilling in that Spotlight is a better movie. Right. Like not so much as like letting the vote stand and like this is our opinion, but like. There seemed to be a lot during the time of people, like, having to justify why Spotlight went over The Revenant. And when that happens, it makes you think, like,
2: that they knew they were wrong. <laughs> right. So, but, like, in my mind, so when I'm – so I want a movie to do all those things. But I also – it needs to be in the service. of beer something. is refreshing. It's so good. I mean, it's refreshing. It's a
0: sour, but it feels like I'm quenching my thirst. And it's a after sour. after
2: the pancake beer – this is like a uh, an explosion of of brightness in my face. I like.
0: I would like to think I could harden this pancake beer somehow, and then use
2: this beer almost as a syrup on it. I, I almost could. You imagine that? Yeah, that would be amazing. I almost can't talk after I drink it. It's yeah. so sour and so sweet and so delicious.
0: It's so complex. Um, much like the revenant, it's like complex. Like that's the thing about this is like it's it's beautifully contained. It's it's not doing. Lot, it's not doing a lot of crazy things to your palate. It's it's a sour, it has less like burnt to it. But underneath it all There's all And this that's stuff. that's the machismo of, of well, the Revenant. So that's it's the cheese made it's a well made beer. And and it's it's a beer you notice because on the front it is all those it is just you know a real punch in the mouth of like, oh my God, like what is going on here? Just like the Revenant is a punch in the face of like this guy's going through shit and this guy has had emotionally and physically. Um, now has to get to somewhere to to you know reclaim his position and, and to seek vengeance. But then underneath it all is all these elements of like oh you feel the cold you have that Lubetsky cinematography you have like some of the most beautiful kind of nature shots you see you have that really solid CGI effects which I mean sometimes that bear looks real you know the, those horse sequences that are clearly CGI are still solid you know you have the complexity of, of a, a really over-the-top performance by Leonardo DiCaprio at times with the restrained performances by other actors. You have impeccable sound design and sound editing, which need which need to be, be there. there. Yeah, yeah. You have excellent use of exposition and storytelling, and you see this film multiple times and you realize the complexity and the density that was made into this one solid effect, but you don't realize when you first see it because there's this... Fucking punch in the mouth, not because it's machismo, but because it's a fucking film.
2: Well, I, I just and I'm not sure where <laughs> I'm not sure how people justify. I don't want to talk about this like like oh these people are wrong and we're super right. No, no. But everyone's entitled I to their opinion. Feel, I just feel like the
0: the except beginning, that Andrew Cosby wrote a good movie. The You're entitled.
2: Opening movie. sequence of that of the Revenant is um, incredible. It is unbelievable. And from the beginning of that sequence to the end of that sequence, and when, even when he's just, you know, he does the slow pan, um, moving forward up the beach as the score finally kicks in. And that's a brilliant thing that we talked about when we talked about my episode how he, how he uses this score, how it's, it almost seems like it's always been there and it's a part of the, it's part of nature. And at some point, um, things happen in the world to kind of bring these sounds out. Um, So as the score builds up and you see that guy shoot the horse and he pushes through that little shack um, and then, you know, they're just running to the water. It's moving from, it's moving from almost, you know, from the woods to the beach, to the water, to the boat, almost seem like different planes of existence. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's done so beautifully and it's done so powerfully um i guess there's ma- i guess there's machismo in the fact that like people are cutting off people's heads and stuff um but it's never
0: like revels in it never, it's not f- like
2: i never saw you want to
0: talk about machismo you look at the shit from hellboy you know you look at yeah, like, that's a machismo that's, that's, machi- that's trying to be machismo but i think it speaks volumes to the fact that a 156 minute long art has has that article would say film you know, is, is ex- released in expansion on January 8th. Originally released December 25th. Mm-hmm. Ends up grossing $183 million in the United States. Half a billion dollars worldwide. Three weeks after the release of the highest grossing domestic film in cinema history. In Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yet this movie captured enough people to, to be a huge... Like, how many art projects and this isn't like this is in many ways an art film like it is it has long stretches of not a lot happening Mm -hmm. i mean 156 minutes you know yeah this movie just captures everybody i mean movies like this don't do that they they don't do that when you know they don't do that unless like, they, have, they have pretense to it. And this is a movie without a lot of pretense. I mean, you have that DiCaprio performance. That DiCaprio performance is nothing compared to something you would see like his performance in Titanic or something like you would see with Kevin Costner in Dances with Wolves. Movies that are similarly long but have this kind of higher-than personality that might get a general audience in. This movie buries him under a beard and it really has long stretches where he can't talk because his throat is yeah. gashed open. And this movie, you know, it is violent and brutal and dirty at points. But then at other points, is just him walking through the woods for a long time or
2: building a hut. Um, well, there's guys shaving their head because of like they have lice, and there's you know the 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 Pawnee guy that he comes up to um, with the buffaloes, and you know he gives him the liver. Um, you know, says his. Body is rotting, yeah. You know and I mean, like, and these aren't these are things that in a different movie would be like the dramatic scene of the movie. Like, your body is rotting. You need to find a place to, you know, to get to. Like, put a. They would have. It would have put a time on it. You know what I mean? Like, you have only this many hours to live because of your body. Whatever. You know, it doesn't make any difference. But they would have put like a time, uh, uh, an expiration date on on how long this is supposed to go on for. Um. And he doesn't. And he stops. And, like, you have so many... I, one of the favorite, my favorite things about this movie, in terms of, like, cinema veritate and stuff, is that there's so many overnight sequences in this movie. You know what I mean? So you get to watch him sleep, like, so many times. And every time, um, Iteranji does something really interesting with it. Like, he's not just you know, they're not having long conversations about like the meaning of life or like what they're going to do. If I ever get back, I'm going to do this thing or whatever.
0: They're just trying to survive.
2: Right. They're literally, and then that's why like the catching snow on their tongue scene is really so funny and kind of emotional and powerful because he's allowing himself for like 10 seconds
0: to be a human being, right?
2: To experience like show in any other way that isn't
0: than, surviving and right. anger.
2: Um, and that's the thing. Like they say,
0: it's Machismo film, but this is just such a human movie. There's a reason it grosses this much money. There's a reason why this is the movie beyond any of the other Oscar contenders that year was the one that struck the chord. Is because you know, man, woman, or whatnot. It's about sur- it's just about surviving. Like people, yeah. this is not. It's not a Machismo thing to like want to survive or. You know, like, maybe say what you will about the revenge element, but that's not drawing most of the action. Most of the action is just about living in this film. And that's what people you get connected to is getting out of there and surviving it and having those slight moments of somewhat reprieve. That's not, that's just the raw human experience. That is the Thomas Hobbesian Leviathan kind of experience. We you don't know? talk
2: enough about Thomas Hobbes in this podcast. Um,
0: it It is brutish. It is cold. It is fearful, and this movie makes you feel all those things, and not because like, it's like, a, yeah!
2: It's like a, oh, God. Well, it, is, it is a hard movie to here, watch, but I, it's a hard movie to watch because it's so real. And I don't know if this is fair, and you tell me if this is not fair. In that same having... To continue the conversation in the same vein with the same pretense, with the same theme, Spotlight is about the discovery of the crimes perpetrated by the Catholic Church in in Boston, but in, in, like, all over the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's about the people who discovered that. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting movie. Um, it is an easy movie to make because it's not about the victims of the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. There are, they made a movie about people telling stories or hearing stories about people who experienced some really Really terrible shit. Um, I'm not comparing, like, you know, people that suffered abuse at the hands of of priests or whatever, to you know Leonardo DiCaprio falling off his horse, like into a tree. Um, then
0: Han Soloing that horse,
2: but. I think one of the I think one of the things, and I think we you, you run into this a lot with movies, is that people want you to go there until you go there, and then they don't want you to go there anymore. You know what I mean? And I think The Revenant could have been one thing. It could have been a very stereotypical action movie. Um, but Iñárritu was like, I'm not interested in making a stereotypical action movie. I'm going to fucking push this into the metaphysical. You know what I mean? So it's an, not just a movie about a guy trying to get revenge on this guy. It's literally a movie about like, the definition, like, how we all relate to the world around us. um, and, Or more accurately, how the world ha- is, how nature is kind of conforming to us, and who is part of nature, and who is not a part of nature, who is a blight, and who is its protector, and, like, all this stuff. um, And Spotlight, I suppose, could have also been about lots of different stuff. It could have really pushed the envelope, instead of giving Billy Crudup, like, five scenes to say roughly the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many stories that are, that are involved with this thing that if we wanted to really push the envelope in terms of, like, um, the detail and the power of, of this, and even the, the true scope of, of, of this problem, could have done it. Yeah. But it didn't do it. It just made this other movie where Mark Ruffalo yells a lot. I mean, that's what it did. Which is which is a solid movie, but it's not pushing the boundaries of what you can do with with this movie, and that's and it's just it's it's not a criticism and it's probably not fair. But it's no, like one and, of the and things-
0: we're, we're we're not. I mean, I, I kind of shit on it a bit earlier, and that was that was unfair. Um, I I still shit on Network because that's a bad movie, but Spotlight's a pre- perfectly serviceable movie. It's just it's just a matter of the arguments presented by the critical circles at that point where spotlight versus revenant and i think there's a reason for that is the fact that revenant maybe goes too far for what people are comfortable with it it does become an uncomfortable experience at times and it's it's a matter of what you take from that you know do you take that it is being too judgmental of its viewer is it saying like oh you know if you don't feel this then then you know not you're a piece of shit but like that you can't handle it and i don't think it is i think it's just it just do See it's just a new to kind of just like vomiting onto the screen in the best possible way
2: well, it's a movie like there's a cool reason ideas.
0: why he like dragged a production crew way far out into the woods than he had to and went way over time because it was like we talk about the passion project and who would have thought that this would have been like or new two's kind of like passion but like It it is, though, because, like, he's always tried to make that movie about the world and about people's interaction with the world. And, and, you know, whether it be the fantastical or whether it be just a natural story. Like, Babel tries so hard to be that person with the world, and it fails because it has so much pretense. That is a movie that's demanding to be art. This movie is is just art art because it's so... Tears away pretenses. Like, it uses all the cinematic tricks in the book to an exceptional degree. But is is a refined filmmaker, finally realizing how to use all that and just let the thing breathe on its own. And Spotlight has a lot of just, like, well put together things, but it does feel manufactured and put together
2: in a certain way. Well, I mean, so Babel and Spotlight have no ideas in terms of making films. Like, there's no... There's no idea. It's yeah, Spotlight's just like telling a story. Right, exactly. The Revenant is a movie that's exploding with... Like, every frame is an idea. Like, every frame almost has an epiphanic quality to it, where yeah. he was just kind of like, you know what, let's do this.
0: There's not going to be a lot of films that show up on my list that are two and a half hours long or longer. There's a few, but because I am not a fan of wasted ta- motion. You know, like, I like... Efficiency and mm-hmm. this movie is so efficient. It's oh two and a half hours long, almost you know three hours long, but it never feels it. Mm. It is just an intense, raw experience, told with the greatest degree of finesse. Mm. And you know, I, I think if there was any moments that that felt too much, that felt. To obscure it you know or new to cut that you know slit that out you know this movie is is just it's an experience Mm -hmm. and i almost struggle to say tell people to watch it right now um because it is to me like the the modern day lawrence of arabia that needs to be like the theater is the place for this movie right
2: yeah i mean i've i've i had a little bit of success on my on my tv at home
0: I, I, I couldn't I can't do it I can't replicate it. I don't know if it's because my
2: windows I can't replicate it either, but it I think because of the first viewing was so evocative that I can kind of when I see certain scenes as so we talked about it last time to when like this scene where after Hawk is dead and um, Fitzgerald um, you know has has left and and Glass pulls himself out of the hole and crawls over to Hawk and like. Um since he's not gonna leave him and puts his head on him and like he's taking the breaths and the breaths like um are fogging up the camera. And then like after the third camera fog you can kill it. After the third camera fog, it cuts to a completely silent maybe a little bit of like a natural white noise. Um, shot of just the mountains and the sun and clouds just kind of in the air. Like in its it's perfect. It's seamless. It almost seems like glass has just birthed the world. It almost seems like it belongs in Tree of Life. You know what I mean? Which is
0: like, which is, which is great too, because it, it you know, we talk where haven't talked. Actually, I, I've mentioned in passing the one film I really don't like, which is Ang Lee's *Brookback Mountain*. Because of that interaction with nature and like, but those establishing shots just feel like establishing shots. But every shot in this, when it is those landscape shots have a carryover, have you know much like the sound design in um, If Bill Street Could Talk carries over and flows mm. the, the visual sense and the visual scope of this carries scene, scene by scene so that those establishing shots become something more and this movie is, is an articulate quilt of a movie it is so well sewn together to form this experience which surprises the fuck out of me because you had to almost dragged me to this. you Going into that, I told you I'm going to dislike this movie and I'm sorry. Did you? I don't remember that. Because I I didn't like a new two. Babel was one of the more painful experiences in the film. Babel was
2: a tough movie.
0: Babel and Brokeback Mountain. Babel
2: is a very boring movie.
0: Babel and Brokeback Mountain are two of the worst experiences in film I had during the mid-2000s. And I saw Ghostwriter in the theaters. Um... <laughs> So I went into this expecting that and leaving this movie. I couldn't speak for it. Me, both you and I just couldn't it was like,
2: what was talk that? for
0: Like, read it. And, it, it, and you don't know. You can't, you can't express it for a
2: while. You well, can't articulate last, and it. And the last shot gives you no information on how you're supposed to leave the film feeling. No. Like, where is he going? What's happening here? Like, why is he looking at me? And that ambiguity kind of leaves you... To just kind of ruminate over the whole thing again, from beginning to end, like what was like what was the almost like what was the purpose of that, but not in a bad way. Um, like what what am I supposed to be taking away from that? And it almost seems like Leonardo DiCaprio has been like, yeah, and then you tell me.
0: And I still I still say I almost don't know. I still don't know to this day what I take from it. I just I
2: don't know either. And that's I think one of the reasons I really like it. All I
0: take from it is that I would I would die. Be, I, the bear would see me, look at me, and I would just break my own neck.
2: Yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right.
0: No. Nature nature is
2: fucking is scary. Yeah, nature wins.
0: And that's why we're in societies. Thank you, Hobbes, for allowing us to do that. <laughs> but Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard is like, I disagree.
2: Why, well, he doesn't like societies?
0: No, Kierkegaard says that the, 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 the evil of man is perpetrated by society, whereas Hobbes was the evil of man is inherent to his nature. I would like to see Kirk and Hobbes. I hope there's an afterlife. Those two are they're chatting about think, it over coffee.
2: They're, they're both in the same place, you think?
0: Yeah. Everyone goes to the same degree as some place.
2: Philosopher's Heaven.
0: They're all eating pancakes with Hellboy, who actually exists. It's a real thing.
2: It is a philosopher. All right. Mm-hmm. We will be back with my 67 in just like five seconds.
0: Before we jump into Tom's number 67, um, I want to speak about something I believe is kind of relevant to what Tom's number 67 will present, and that is um, the Richard Brody article that just came out in The New Yorker, that 2019 has already been an exceptional year in movies. He talks about how, in his opinion, 2019, the films we've seen of the year so far, could stand up to be some of the best of any year of the past few years. Um,
2: Hellboy included? Is this a... <laughs> this is pre-Hellboy. Hellboy? No, this is the first okay. quarter. Okay, all right. Just Standing sure. to the first quarter. Well, I know where we are.
0: Um, and, and some of the movies he mentions are, are the ones that we've talked about previously in this podcast, Us and High Flying Bird being two of them. Um, he also mentions Burial of um, Kojo, which I just saw this past week and is a fucking brilliant masterpiece of a film. A beautiful gesture of magical realism, uh, telling a story that is way unknown about illegal gold mining and the exploitation of illegal gold mining in Ghana, um, often by uh, Chinese corporations. Um, It is, but just from a cinematically, and I'll post this on Twitter, has one of the greatest shots I've seen, single shots I've seen in the past uh, decade. I say the past decade and this is a movie made on nothing it had to be its post-production had to be kick-started
2: that's awesome
0: for seventy eight thousand dollars, because he couldn't afford the special effects or the the final the final score like the score and whatnot Uh and the marketing um the score also is fantastic it's a great movie it's on netflix um of kojo um once tom sees it maybe we'll have a little discussion about it yeah um but also but some of the other movies he mentions um Ashes of Pure Swiping, the most well known, but also Birds of Passage, Black Mother, um, the Competition, an Elephant Sitting Still, and others. He says no one has been able to see uh, because they've had either extremely limited runs um, or they haven't really been released outside of anything but the New York LA market. Yeah, and he talks about how it's interesting in this, today's world, especially with the the explosion. Of streaming services, you know, the fact that we're able to see High Flying Bird or um, Barrow of Kojo is because those two movies are on Netflix. Um, Or foreign films now gaining exposure with things like Cold War being on Amazon Prime or Shoplifters on
2: Hulu? Hulu, yeah.
0: Hulu and some of the other, a few of the other um, foreign language films now coming up on Amazon Prime, especially. Uh Um, How throughout past years, A lot of these movies that that are now seen as classics um, were met as commercial failures and are even critically divisive, such as the movie that's going to show up on Tom's, number 67, um, was divisive in a lot of ways, even though it scored a lot of awards. So I guess a quick discussion I'd like to have is do we think that this explosion of of streaming will have a change in the effect of of, um, how we approach film? you know commercially especially In to commercially life. especially I think it's interesting because film uh, we talked about Kurosawa a few weeks ago with Rashomon and about how eventually during the late 70s and 80s as I've been reading his uh, something um, like an autobiography and then kind of reading more about his life story he, he struggled to get financing for even 2 million American dollars currently for his some of his last features because his films were cr- commercially disasters
2: well, he was one of the most highly regarded filmmakers in the world, and no studio would give him money. Yeah. Um, because he wasn't making he wasn't movies that making. anyone wanted to see. He was just making, you know, passion projects that he, like, needed to make.
0: But what I find interesting is, is now with the, the, the increase in streaming with Netflix's vivacious attitude of buying films like Private Life or... Um, I guess Netflix and by Sport Girls. Sports Sport Girls ever go, went to Prime?
2: It was on Hulu for a while. Hulu.
0: Um, you know, these, these streaming services now being willing to, to finance or to at least distribute prestige cinema. Yeah. With maybe somewhat of a, a possible disregard, we do well, know the there's... financials. Um, will this yeah, open it's... the door to more, will this open the door and, and democratize... Possibly criticism to where films that could be perceived as classics, and then are not found for years or even decades later, and you know gain that cult status. Are we going to see a transition? Um, yeah,
2: I mean, I think you're already into s-
0: films being more critically,
2: uh, yeah, I th- faster. I think you're already seeing that stuff. So there was a movie that came out last year called Thunder Road, which starred a guy who I don't know, and he directed it and he wrote it, and I don't care about it. Um, and there was a lot of press about how this is like you know a, a, a already a great even though no one had seen it because it wasn't even out on prime yet when people were writing this so i'm not sure how they saw it they got screeners they you know live in new york and la they went to the one theater that had it and they were the only person in the theater and then they said this must be a great all-time movie because i'm the only one that saw it um And I don't think it made any money. I think it might have gotten nominated for an Independent Spirit Award, maybe. I don't know. Um, But there was all of these articles like, this is a great movie. This is a great movie. And even Richard Brody writing this long piece and uh, Matt um, Zoller sites on RogerEbert.com and wherever else he was writing, writing about the Bread Factory. But I bought tickets to almost drive two hours to see the Bread Factory based on Richard Brody's review and Matt Zoller site's review. Um... Have you seen that yet? Not yet, because it hasn't been released on any of the streaming services yet. Okay. Um, so, or maybe maybe it's being released right now. And, and, I'm look and like
0: you video. and I like like went out of our ways to catch support the girls because of like we both are fans of Andrew Buchalowski, Buchalowski, I mean, you were and but the critical louding it got such right. a very
2: tiny feature. People are people are searching out for these types of movies, and interestingly enough, like I think. There was like a there's I I don't know the name of it. There was like a big entertainment like media conference that just happened like two weeks ago where all of these media conglomerates are kind of showing theater owners um, and distributors and buyers and stuff like their new products and like what they've got in the store and like lots of clips and things. And, and I guess one of the major themes of that was that we're not going... <sighs> these theaters are not going willingly into the era of like all streaming all the time. Well, yeah... Have- but, like, we
0: yeah, have the argument right now: Steven Spielberg and the Department I mean, of Justice saying you can't do
2: that. Or even like Helen Mirren just showing up at that conference and being like, "Fuck Netflix." And it's like, yeah, I hate to break it to you, Helen Mirren, but the only reason you're going to have a job in five years is because Netflix is going to pay those, for one those of those Joel
0: Kinnaman movies are going to yeah. dry up pretty quickly. Um,
2: <sighs> and something well like is that
0: movie. I already forgot I what, that what that movie's called. called. Well, the had, Informer. The informer, yeah. Because it's not the informant. Who did he inform? You. I don't know who was informing. It Russian matter. mob? FBI? Um, Common. Common. He's informing Common and Clive Owen. And Clive Owen.
2: But I think they had different opinions about the information that he was informing.
0: And is in it, so like we'll have to watch part of it, because Anadarmus.
2: But I'm not going to watch part of it, because they did a bad job with the makeup and hair, because her hair, skin, and lips are all the same color, and that always freaks me out. Um, Anadarmus. Alex Ross Perry's new movie, I, we talked about it when we were talking about the movies that we were talking, excited for this year. That's uh, like the Elizabeth Moss, you know, punk rock movie, Her Smell, is being released. hasn't come... Uh, you know, it's probably going to get a small release in New York Capone and LA. just did a review of that. Right, and it's going to get released digitally. It's, it says on Amazon that the DVD is May 11th, which means that the digital release is probably going to be the end of April. Yeah, that'd probably um,
0: be April, like, 25th-ish. Whatever.
2: Um... It's going to see the light of day for two weeks in theaters because Elizabeth Moss is going to get... It's going to get out there for the appropriate amount of time in theaters so that Elizabeth Moss can be nominated for an Oscar. Um, And then it's just going to go to streaming and hope that in October, or whenever it goes to Prime, whenever it's free, um, people are going to find it. And I think one of the interesting things about this year's... And you can take this to think about this year's Oscars, is that I think like the legacy press in in Hollywood and wherever still really cares about the Oscars and losers like you and me kind of still care about the Oscars. But I think, like, in reality, people don't really give a shit, like, about the Oscars. Yeah, and because your movie... If your movie's gonna live, it will just live forever. And that's really... That's really the goal here, is not to win an Oscar so much but to have one of those movies that people like 2 years after it's released been like did you see that movie which i think is something that's going to happen with something like i think in 2 years people are going to be kicking themselves in the nuts or the whatever's because like they didn't see they didn't know that first reform existed yeah and, and they're going to go they're going to put it on amazon they're going to be like what the fuck
0: and the thing that's great about
2: Sorry, Chelsea. I just yeah. yelled what the fuck.
0: <laughs> the thing that's great about this though and I think the thing that, that I kind of try to get to the point is is the Oscars for independent film especially were, were so essential and, f- and for small filmmakers were so essential to gain that that following um, to gain that that kind of like slight voice in order to make your next feature. But now with the rise of streaming, you know, and and these these film nerds being hired by these you know, the distribution companies basically, like Netflix and Prime, are uh-huh. um, you know they they will exist in perpetuity um, in the streaming service. It, you know, they they get the money for that, and and if they get enough views, and if people are seeing it, and and people read these critical reviews and realize I can go, well, I I saw Burial of Kojo because I read that Richard Brody article. I wouldn't even give it in a second look. But, you know, nerds like us see that. And fucking will pursue those movies.
2: Nerds and, who wait with bated breath for Richard Brody's reviews on yeah. Yeah. um
0: Or or any of these, at any time we see something, we don't have to search out. You know, like Keller High Water, I only saw because I, you know, it had a high rating on Ron and Tomatoes. It had a high Metacritic, but then I, luckily it was going in theaters that day. Right. But if I, you know, if it hadn't been, I might have forgotten about it in, in time. I might have, you know, it might have been lost that but now that these things are streaming and are available to you you know you can watch it that day if you want to i watched barrel kojo that day um and and so it's i wonder if like the oscars or siege films or this kind of like legacy ideas are 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 nervous in a sense because they won't mean much anymore for some of these smaller filmmakers if like They only need the critical louding. They only need the critical acceptance in order to gain the viewers, in order to appease the distribution companies that will turn finance them for the $5 million they need. Well, there's a lot of writing about
2: this. I mean, I don't know how much Tomorrow
0: Jenkins isn't getting Oscar nominations, but, you know, people talked about private life. And I'm sure if Netflix ever released their, you know, numbers, that private life probably got a lot of eyes on it.
2: Well, so, I mean, the thing that people talked about a lot last year is... And uh, I guess one of the things that, like, theater owners are mad about is that... um, Netflix, I guess, and I don't know this because I'm not like an insider. I just listen to podcasts where. But if you want to make us insiders, bigger nerds than us, talk about this shit. That apparently Netflix doesn't release a lot of their ratings for a lot of different things. But apparently, so many people watched Bird Box that they felt compelled to say, like, look at how many people watched Bird Box. And a lot of theater owners were like, "Well, why didn't we get Bird Box? We could have made some money off Bird Box." Blah 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 blah. But the the I the general thinking about this is that the only reason that many people saw bird box was because they didn't have to pay. They already were paying $12 a month to watch whatever they wanted on Netflix it was it a holiday was weekend right there. They didn't have to do anything. They could literally to put it on. They could, it was the next thing on whatever you were watching for a couple of days. You open up Netflix. It was like the is, next is, episode.
0: You opened up Netflix. was is the very first thing yeah. you see.
2: Um, And you could do anything. You could take five hours to watch it. You could pause it to do something else. You could watch half of it one night and then watch the next half the next night. Um, I don't know if our culture as a whole is better or worse or more worserist than it used to be, but that's just how we do shit now. Whether theater owners like it or not, whether Steven Spielberg and Helen Mirren, who... I hate to break it to them, our old people, like it or not, this is how this stuff works now. You know what, a, 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 a shitty, um,
0: very much Quiet Place-esque movie would not have Stanley Tucci as its lead if it was released on in theaters.
2: Well, that's, I mean, are we saying this is a positive?
0: I like Stanley Tucci as leads, you but know? that
2: movie is getting bad reviews. Oh, but
0: Stanley Tucci's the lead, and it you know, gives us Stanley Tucci.
2: I don't mind a Stanley Tucci, um, and the daughter from Mad Men, isn't it? What's that movie called? The Quiet, The Silence, The Silence. Right, sure. Why don't they just call it The Silent Place? I don't know. I don't know why they didn't call it The Silent Place. Um, but you know, you do take that. But it's someone's fine. gonna. But a lot of people. I mean, but the thing, a lot of people are gonna watch it because it's it's just there. I mean, that's just how. I opened this... up
0: Netflix earlier to watch Burial of Kojo and. Very first thing there was the silence. So. There you go.
2: I think I, I personally think this
0: is a good thing. I, I think whatever gains exposure to films that would otherwise be forgotten.
2: Well, like we're going to talk-
0: uh, otherwise like brings it the voice into the public spectrum and doesn't hide it behind this kind of ivory tower, I guess. You would say well, a critical to, expectations and the critical voice. If yeah, the critical I voice mean, can happen at the same time as the public voice, like maybe for a prestige film, maybe this is a good. I think this is a
2: good thing. And I think it's the the experience is is, is different also in the sense that I'm happy to go to the movies to see something shitty like Hellboy, because um, if Hellboy is any good, it's going to be a really interesting experience to see with a full theater full of people that also really want to see Hellboy. Because they're it was also, kind
0: of still a good experience to see like that one woman laughing about that. Yeah. A dad joke,
2: that, like that. That fell so badly, but remember, no one said anything except for the one person in the back who like, la- yeah.
0: like, really laughed at that
2: joke. Um, but and we can we can spin this into like talking about my movie if you want. Um, is I think it, I think it works. Is that some movies, like I saw my number sixty seven in theaters. Um, I probably would have seen my number sixty seven on my television, and I'm fairly certain it wouldn't have. I would, there would not be a lot of things lost in the translation um, so my number 67 if we're going to do this is Dance from the Dark I
1: just did what
2: I had to do I got little games I play when it goes really hard I just start dreaming and it all becomes music I what I choose and I what I
1: it's enough to one un- more would be green Get a crash car Crack it, bounce on Don't you come always someone To catch me When I fall
2: Directed by Lars von Trier from 2000 uh, starring uh, Bjork uh, David Morse Catherine Deneuve uh, Peter Stormare um, a lot of uh, of um,
0: Don't forget about Udo Von, Kier
2: another Udo Kier another one one scene seated behind a desk Udo Kier performance maybe S. Craig Zoller was doing a shout out to Dancer in the Dark when he did his I hope so he did his thing um so yeah, uh, the people that are in a lot of von Trier movies. So you got your Stellan Skarsgård, you got your um, Siobhan Fallon. Um, it is a movie. Uh, Bjork plays Selma, and she's going blind, and she works in a factory, and uh, she's saving. It's a her blindness is hereditary. She's saving money, um, putting all these like pins on cards, and, and working extra shifts at the factory so she can save money so her son. Um, can have Gene can have um, a surgery so he doesn't go blind. Um, she is staying in a trailer on David Morse's character's property. Bill, um, he's a policeman. He steals her money. In um, when Selma goes to get it back, he is she shoots him because he asked her to, and then she goes to jail, and then um, she is hung. At the end of the movie, spoiler alert. I love when we do spoiler alerts after the spoiler. Um, It's one of my favorite parts of the Um, podcast. So the twist in this movie is that uh, Selma hears sounds everywhere and she kind of turns them into music in her own head. Um, Von Trier shot this digitally badly most of the scenes. Um, And then he shot the musical numbers better. So there's a distinct change. Yeah, you Dog
0: Me 95. In, well,
2: the Dogma 95 stuff dictated that he...
0: Because, I mean, he didn't use Dogma 95, but it was influenced by well, it. and he used like a 100
2: digital cameras It's the to... movie he did. It's the movie he kind of stepped away from the Dogma 95 stuff. So he... Because he had to, done that with Breaking the Waves and the Idiots? And the Idiots, yeah. So he... I mean, Dogma 95 was essentially just a set of rules that these directors made about kind of like stepping beyond like commercial... Um, the expectations of, of commercial filmmaking. Um, and von Trier does that for most of this. It's really cheap. I mean, it looks, and we're gonna talk about like this a little bit later. It looks a lot like, um, like a student film in places. Like it's supposed to be 1964 Washington. It really seems like he just got a couple of. He went to Goodwill, bought some clothes that were 1964 ish. Got a couple of period cars and just said the hell with it. And that's 1964. Um... So, I saw this movie... in a a very organic way in terms of, like, finding out about stuff. So, obviously, when I saw this movie in 2000, I'm going to find out about things differently than we find out about them now. I mean, I'm just trying to draw a link here. Um, I saw this at the York Square Cinema in New Haven. Um... So that's coming back. We're going to talk about a bunch of movies that I saw at York Square. Um, it doesn't exist anymore. It was a two-screen theater in New Haven. It showed all the best stuff. Um, I saw you know, storytelling there. I saw several other movies that are on my list there that we're not going to talk about now. Um, it was tiny. It felt like your own place anyway. It was like the seating was a lot like Cine 1234 in the sense that there were these long – or, or Mad- the Madison Arts um, Cinema – where it's like these long theaters, it has this kind of wave in it. All the seats are really close together, um, but I don't think that I don't think seeing that in theaters so much um, affected my viewing of it as much as me seeing the movie affected my desire or interest in seeing other movies. Um, I'll do a little backstory because it's all relevant to why I, to, to me seeing this movie, if that's all right. Um, so I had a, I mean, so I had a really interesting, like, relationship to Bjork. So I only saw this movie because Bjork was in it. I don't know who Lars von Trier was. I didn't know what Breaking the Waves was. I didn't really know anything about this movie except that Bjork was in it. Um, I just, my Bjork memory, I have very vivid Bjork memories. I don't know, do you have any, like, vivid, like weird New York memories. Not New York memories, but kind of like a similar type of thing where like there's one artist or one kind of director or one like thing where you're just kind of like that just keeps cropping up in my life and every time I, it does I'm just like I pay extra attention to it. You know what I mean? It's like a really significant thing even though it might not be that significant. It's like a thing that stands out in your brain. So like the thing so places where Bjork stands Gary out always, I guess maybe. Okay. Um awesome. We'll discuss that in another episode. Never, because I don't care. It always shows up anymore. Oh, that's a bummer. That's a bummer for both of us. Um, so, like, my first Bjork memory, like, I knew who Bjork was. Like, I was an alternative music person. I really watched a lot of MTV. Um, but I was at Toad's... In 1996, I was at Toad's place to see Weird Al on his Bad Hair Day tour. And when we were waiting for a Weird Al to come on stage at Toad's place back then, which used to be an awesome place to see concerts... And now it's a shithole.
0: An awesome place to see 19-year-old Yale students.
2: Um, get sold $8 cans of beer. Um, because Toad's cards really well. Um, on, the, on the TV screen, next to like the stage, they were showing a video of Bjork videos. And people, again, this is pre-YouTube. So, to see a Bjork video, you either had to watch a lot of MTV or own, like, a compendium of of Bjork videos. And I just remember watching out of the corner of my eye, like, her video for Oh So Quiet, and for Human Behavior, and for Hunter. These really, like, profound, scary like music videos where weird things were happening and they didn't look like anything else that was on TV and Bjork already didn't sound like anybody else like making music then. And then in the summer of that year, I used to do musical theater when I was a kid. And the last one I did was the summer of my eighth grade going into freshman year of high school. And at the rap party for the musical, I'm pretty, and it was from that age to like high school, I'm fairly certain a bunch of the kids that were way older than me were doing a lot of drugs in the basement of this house where we had the rat party, and they were fucking listening to Bjork, and they were listening to Post, and I remember it because they had the CD out there, and I was looking at the CD, and I was like, oh, I I know this, and I can hear, like, I can still see all the colors and all these people I don't know anymore, and I could hear, like, Bjork music happening. Um, Then you guys drink some punch. I didn't Spikes drink. Of a lot of I didn't acid. drink anything. There was there was a couple of kids my age there that I was very interested in flirting with, and then I was just amazed that they wanted to flirt back with me, and I was like, okay. They had punch. They, they didn't they, have punch. Was there was there a child locked in an electric electric, electric room? I'm going to be very honest with you. It was not dissimilar in like the initial post dance sequences of like what climax looked like. That's just kind of what was happening. And the same kinds of people were there. These were like super art people. And I was just like a 14-year-old kid that was a pretty good singer. Um, and, then in the, and then in 2000, I got a job working in a record store. And one of the first promos, so we used to get promos, like CDs with a hole drilled into it. A hole drilled into like the, uh, the jewel case, and then a hole punched out of the barcode. And that was a promo. We had a promo of this Bjork album called Selma Songs. And I was like, what the hell is this? A New Bjork album? Awesome. Promo of a new Bjork album. And I listened to it a lot. And then um, I saw that it was a soundtrack to a movie called Dance in the Dark. And I was like, I gotta go see that movie. I love Bjork. I'm gonna go see this movie. I go see the movie with my girlfriend at the time. Um, we walk out of the movie... The movie ends, you know how it ends. <laughs>
0: the movie ends. Oh my god! You've told me this story. I forgot about this story. Pretty
2: much everyone in the theater was just like, "What?" I <laughs> Wait,
0: didn't know. I didn't understand that. What's this Avengers shit. initiative?
2: Um, I we walked out of the we walked out of the theater, and the first thing I said to her was, "If I was being executed, would you go to it?" I mean. <laughs> And we had a big fight about like how that was just kind of a weird thing to say to somebody. And I really wanted to know if she would go to my execution. Um, and? And, 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 no... she, and she didn't. And it, But it was good because it didn't work. So I'm here now.
0: Would, would your wife go to your execution or you anything? Have you asked her that question?
2: I don't think she when would.
0: You re, did you watch Dance in the Dark with her? No.
2: I'm pretty would sure she, she... Would she
0: have watched Dance in the Dark with you?
2: Mm, she would have watched it, but I don't think she would She wouldn't have liked it.
0: But afterwards, would you have asked her that question?
2: I think it... Mm, yeah. And what do you think she, she would have said? She would... I don't know. I don't know what she would have said. She would, would just demanded you be if, if you want me to actually answer your question, I don't think she would go. Because I think whatever I did to be executed for would have been enough where that would be like a rift in our relationship. and she's
0: Especially in Connecticut, where it is illegal to... The, the, the death penalty is outlawed.
2: So if someone was going to hang me for something, it would be just martial law type things. And I don't think she's going to go to Or it'd
0: be like a, the stand sort of situation.
2: Which is cool. Um, that's a long story, I guess. I guess the interesting thing is that a movie of like... 2000 was an interesting year for me in the sense that 1999 was a really interesting year for me. And the sense that there's a lot of movies that we're going to talk about much later in a list that came out in 1999 that paved the way for me to watch dancer in the dark and for Bjork to be singing that unbelievably beautiful song at the end of that movie for the song to get cut off mid hanging. And for me afterwards saying, I have to find more of this, maybe not von Trier. Although I did go immediately to rent breaking the waves. Um,
0: which man? You think you think dancer in the dark is a gut punch? Yeah,
2: breaking break is something else. But I wanted I and I wanted more of this type of stuff in my life. Not the gruesome stuff, and not the difficult stuff, and not the like uh, the ugly stuff. You know, the stuff that von Trier is kind of famous for the emotionally complicated stuff. You know what I mean? Like I, so we're gonna we're both gonna talk about American Beauty later on our lists. American Beauty, by its stand, but American Beauty is important in the sense that it made me want to go see more movies. This movie, you know, is just one of the movies that it made me want to go see um, because it opened me up to the idea that movies are gonna be more than just kind of like a super fun thing. Um, this movie made me want to feel really shitty. I felt shitty and good simultaneously. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I felt it was such a cathartic experience feeling that just um, broken by a movie that I have subsequently, like, sought out that kind of feeling in, in many other movies. You know what I mean? Including some of the stuff that is very high on the top of my list is 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 based in the idea of of broken people and and um it's just it's so compelling upon when we can talk now, we'll have like a discussion now um, upon viewing it like I've only seen it like maybe one or two times since then. Um, it's not really very good it's kind of like low end von Trier in the sense that like the stuff pre when she's not singing and before she goes to jail. It's not a lot happening here. You know what I mean? It's and it's a little preposterous. Um David Morris is really weird. Um He's good
0: like <laughs> this is this is good like Green Mile weird David Morris.
2: <laughs>
0: this is like coming right off of probably yeah. Green Mile. No, oh, it's so a few years, yeah. Well Green Mile's ninety nine. That's right, that's right. Green Mile's so ninety nine, yeah. It feels it feels like he's still acting. <laughs>
2: It feels like he's playing that same character it's very it's a very contrived film so like the script like they don't say anything that doesn't need to be said in terms of moving it's not it's not an exp they're not exposition dumps but they're just kind of they're having conversations that need to be had to kind of establish these characters they're saying things that establish set the stage for why the characters might be doing what they're doing later in the movie um you know, the people make weird, everyone makes weird choices. Um, you don't know how serious anything is. Like, David Morse kind of just asks Selma to kill him because I he's ashamed really. of himself. But I'm also, really for just, no reason.
0: I, yeah, you're 50 minutes into the movie and you just gotta get, <coughs> you gotta get to this shit. Cause you you gotta really get got this to, guy you dead. You haven't got to this shit yet. Yeah, Like, things are bad, but they're not the shit.
2: Um... So there's, I mean, that's the thing. So, like, there's no attention to detail in this movie. It's very rough. I mean, Von Trier doing Von Trier stuff with the camera. I mean, obviously, he's not the cinematographer, but he's making the choices, and everything looks like a Von Trier movie, but it also looks, like, worse than a normal Von Trier movie. Um, I mean, he'd go right from here to do Dogville um, and Manderlay, which he was doing on those sets. Um... But it's got his it's got all of this trademark stuff, but just lesser somehow um but once you get to the end, you kind of bjork is is so compelling a performer, and that scene at the end is so like unbelievably heartbreaking and gruesome that you're just kind of like, all right, even after you just watched it's two hours and twenty minutes long, even after you watch two hours and nineteen minutes of that movie. At the end you're like, okay, that was kind of worth it, I guess. I don't know. I don't think we I literally don't think we've ever had a conversation about this movie. No, I don't think so. And And we're not going to. So
0: my introduction to Lars von Schweer was two thousand and six. Two thousand four. Two thousand four. Goggle. No. Late night one a, one a.m. in the morning flipping through the channels my old thir- 19-inch tube TV I inherited from my grandfather Signed. I I saw a film and I was like why is this film have white outlines and words and why why are they being after so after I mean finished af- after I watched it I was like why how did I spend three hours watching this movie and was so intrigued by it and when it was doing nothing really at all um visually but but was so compelling as a story and so compelling for its performances and that was Dogville. and from there i kind of got entranced over the next few years and watched um, would watch manderley but but really never felt myself compelled to watch a von trier movie mm-hmm. until you told me a story about dancing in the dark and then you would eventually mention a movie that profoundly touched you that we'll talk about in a, a year or so. Um, and so I'd watch that movie.
2: I'm being profoundly touched by it right now.
0: And I'd watch Melancholia. And I'd watch Dymphomaniac. And I'd watch Breaking the Waves. And then I'd watch Dancing in the Dark.
2: Hooray! That's a, a feel-good festival of movies there.
0: But the interesting thing about all of that is listening to every... Not the critics, but listening to the people who have seen this movie and the profound impact it has on them. And thinking that this movie's really solidly done. It's it's blocked well. It has really nice musical numbers. It, it does have an emotional affect to it. But not feeling that emotional affect to anywhere near the degree. I think people... This is his most... Approachable of films? For, yeah, it's weird um, in the sense that it is emotionally taxing to a degree with which you're still comfortable walking away from it. It is the requiem for of a dream of emotionally taxing compared to some of his other films, well, which I'm... are emotionally taxing to
2: a nth degree. See, but I think requiem for a dream is way is as emotionally taxing as. Some other stuff that were. I, mean, I would. I would agree, but uh, but was, but it's still. I would just. See for palpable. A dream this, yeah, I guess, palpable. Yeah, it's
0: palpable in the sense that most people seeing "Requiem for a Dream" are not drug addicts and don't have to fear this kind of path. In much the same way that people aren't immigrants in the middle mid century where communism is a big fear and going down this path, so they can be depressed by it. They can be moved by it. The problem is, is, after watching these movies with this more necessary sense of, not magic to them, but a necessary sense of a, a greater-than-force that isn't well, so present. they're
2: grounded in a very specific theme and idea, whereas this movie doesn't seem to have that. Mm-hmm. This movie seems way more like an, I just kind of, which is what he said, I just wanted to make a movie with Bjork.
0: But having more of a global outside force... That is is compelling. It that uh, I'm not not necessarily omnipotent, but a, almost a supernatural force beyond the scope that anybody could have this Jobian sort of experience in any of the von Trier movies or or some of the other films uh-huh. um, that we'll talk about with with kind of like these these downtrodden premises. And and my approach with Dance in the Dark is that ultimately I find it to be a well constructed film with with its raw edges, but its raw edges are still done with the stylistic underpinnings of Lars von Trier. So he has a conscientious notice of what he's doing. But it, in the end, leaves me emotionally empty in the sense that I feel none of the sense of despair or sadness or grief and and could easily watch this movie again. Most people say they, they, they love it, but they can never watch it again.
2: Yeah. It doesn't do that for me. It's it, it's it's melodramatic. I think if I sense. saw all those other movies first, I would feel probably the same way as this. Which movie. is yeah. Because those movies are so like even if
0: If you're going to watch a Lars von Trier movie and it's your first Lars von Trier movie, watch this movie. Whatever you fucking do, do not start with Breaking the Waves and then think you'll ever feel anything near that.
2: Yeah, or don't watch Breaking the Waves and then Think you're gonna have uh, like really good sex ever again, or because think it that doesn't have the gravity of, <laughs> or of think getting to heaven,
0: in like underpinning the whole experience, or think that your world, in some small way, will ever be the same again,
2: well, and, and or I mean, your ability to look at Emily right. Watson will ever be the same. Again. So we can, I mean, that's a really interesting. That's a really interesting way to pivot here, Mario. So I've pivot had two. Goal? Yeah, it is. I've had really Gold Star. Gold Star Pivot. Um, I've had two Breaking of Breaking his... the Waves,
0: also starring Udo Kerr. Yeah.
2: He's in, he's in a bunch of these movies. He's in all,
0: almost all of them. I think he's maybe, he's not in House That Jack Built. Um,
2: no. Is he? He's yeah, not.
0: He's not, in, he's not in House That Jack Built. He's not in... Wouldn't it be um, funny if he was one of the guys that was taped? To wait, surprise? was he in House of That Jack... No, he wasn't in House That Jack Built, and he wasn't in Antichrist.
2: Wow. Well, yeah, because there's nobody in Antichrist. Um I've had two of these experiences. It's the first of the trio
0: of Gainsborough.
2: It's interest no, it's not interesting. We have to talk about it. It's it's always the elephant in the room now with any like of these films with these problematic people. Is that uh in
0: two- which is the the thing I wanted to finish on, I don't know if Yeah, oh yeah, we'll finish
2: it. Yeah. In two thousand seventeen Bjork made some accusations against Von Trier saying that he you know, um I guess he was whispering sexual sexually explicit things in her ear. He, he, you know, uh, propositioned her. And when she said, no, he like made her life on the set really difficult. There was a the he... talk
0: about where she said, um, that while well, filming in Sweden, he threatened the client from his balcony over to mine in the middle of the night with a clear sexual intention.
2: And then they kind of badmouthed her in the press at the time a little bit about, I guess she ate a shirt or some weirdo nonsense like that. Um, a shirt a shirt like uh, they said she was going crazy and like she ate a shirt so their response to bjork's i actually comments, have an
0: outstanding bet that i will never fulfill which is that when donald i i so i have a friend we know the name of the friend um it would be the only person who would want me to still fulfill this bet i think we know the name of that person
2: i don't know what the bet is so i don't know what um, it is
0: she, This particular person was so afraid that Donald Trump was going to win the election, and I was so convinced that it was fine. And this was like September. I was like, if he wins, I will eat a shirt. Uh, um, and it made, her, it made that person feel better.
2: Uh, uh, I wouldn't then, recommend eating a shirt. No,
0: I'm not going to. Never going to do that. Um, but I wouldn't call this a sign of insanity. I'd call this a sign of just having a weird Sunday. I mean, that, that, kid, that kid ate 30 days of worms. In a sandwich. Did. And how to eat fried worms.
2: Oh, yeah. I never read that book. It's a good book. Let's get back on track here.
0: Yeah, maybe not a time to go into <laughs> divergence, but.
2: It, I did a little research today in the conversation, in, in anticipation of having this conversation. Um, Nicole Kidman says that she he was crazy on set. Um, but He's she often.
0: Does, drunk, right? Because He told He, like, was, he yeah. told
2: Raya Kea that he gets drunk because he can't handle it. Right. Well, I guess he did get drunk. He used to get drunk a lot and I don't know if he's getting drunk anymore. I think he's...
0: He's trying to say like he's limiting it, yeah.
2: I guess. Um, Nicole Kidman said that like some days were really good and some days were like the worst days for life and Paul Bettany kind of like mirrored that saying it was like the most one of the most depressing film experiences he's ever had. Um... Charlotte Gainsborough has said that none of the things that Bjork has said mirrors any of the things that she knows. Bryce Dallas Howard hasn't said anything to the effect. Kirsten Dunst hasn't said that he did anything. Um, I'm going to guess that he did all of these things that Bjork says that he did, and he did it to fuck with her. Um, I actually believe 100% what Bjork says. I'm assuming I actually assume that he st- was trying to fucking ruin her life on set because that's just kind of what he does and yeah, I think, I it think was it's one a... of those things where like she's not an, she doesn't come from that universe so she doesn't have producers in her face like this is trying well, to ruin her fucking... two
0: films she's ever done right
2: well she did this in Drawing a Straight Nine with Matthew Barry who she was in a relationship with or, at the, or Matthew Barney who she was in a relationship with at the time so he wasn't going to do that. And that was that was very specifically I mean, an art project. Vincent
0: Gallo did Vincent Gallo things during Vincent Gallo movies. So. Yeah,
2: remember Vincent Gallo? I feel like we've had this conversation before. Remember Vincent Gallo? Um,
0: We're gonna, I'm going to have to watch a movie of this soon because uh, he's in a Claire Denis movie. Um, that's that's part of the new French extremity that I never saw. Um, oh, all right. And so I figure when I do High Life, I will watch that movie. So I can talk about Claire Denis a little more.
2: It does... It involves
0: a lot of biting people.
2: okay. It does cloud my viewing of this film, but it doesn't change. It clouded my new viewing of the film, but it doesn't change my history with the film and its importance in like Which it tracking. Can't, yeah. It can't, but I feel like I almost I feel like it should, and I almost kind of want it to. I would feel better if it did, but it doesn't. Like as I watch it, it still brings up all the like the things that I felt like watching it in 2000, you know what I mean? And all, like, the Bjork things kind of leading up to it. And it makes me feel bad. Like, I feel bad for her. And I especially feel bad for her because I do think that this movie was made a little bit like he didn't have a, a super plan because a lot of times the only one who's showing any emotion whatsoever is Catherine Deneuve, who's just... She, but she's playing pretty even. But you can tell that she doesn't feel great. And Bjork, who's openly weeping, like, at a couple of these scenes...
0: Even Peter Stormare, who's usually the the beacon of energy in his films, seems beat in this. Yeah. It, it clouded my view. Um, of, not necessarily this movie because I hadn't had much experience with this movie, but it clouded my view of Lars von Trier. And I, I, maybe I'm going to say he's going to be a bit crazed. Um, he has a response that he did in the Allocinema uh, interview with a, it's a French newspaper.
2: Which we read all the time.
0: Um and he spoke about the Me Too movement, and he says, uh, you know, 90% of the journalists, I, and this is just a rough translation, um, you know, 90% of the journalists I spoke to believe that I harassed Bjork, but that's ridiculous because I denied it, but no one wrote it. Uh, because a good story is to write that I harassed
2: her. But they did write that he didn't harass her. Uh,
0: and that is, well, this is, this is just, I don't know when this is, inter- this is when he was still doing press releases during Con." uh for house of the check belt.
2: Well he so he, right after Bjork made the accusation he the, responded to it. Her him and his producer said that she was a difficult one.
0: Yeah, but her, not her, him. Yeah, but her producer also came out and kind of defended what she said. Yeah. Her producer. Um and that's not the case. I touched her, it's true. I do it with all my actresses because she was doing a really intense job, screaming, being sick. So obviously I hugged her. But if she thinks a hug is harassment, then I think that I would not be able to achieve what I need to do without touching my actors I did not touch her in the wrong places I think um, and, I and, and this is and I agree in the sense and not this is totally this is obviously us being complete outsiders with this view I I don't think ever his intention is to is to do things like that I, I think he maybe is trying to listen to emotion um, I, I agree with that sentiment um, just from the circumstantial evidence that's based around that if you know, I, I'm not going to stake a horse in this argument. You know, if, if Bjork was uncomfortable, then it was beyond right. the, beyond the means. My point for this, though, is I think I am over von Trier in the sense of I... House That Jack Built did everything I needed him to do. I agree with you. Um, but it is now to a point, having seen his films... That This is a man who's really sick and has a really troubled worldview um, that is so utterly perpendicular to mine, and, and that he needs to achieve the things he does by creating such a, a toxic environment on his sets that maybe I don't necessarily feel the need to support it
2: anymore. Um, well, How is it a is actually a really good kind of like bookend. Like, you know, it is. It's a it, very it, it, appropriate kind of like I'm all done. yes yeah.
0: and and you know, in comparison to to other filmmakers, you know, who who kind of do the same thing but but do it in a more professional way, like Claire Denis like being a not a good example of that um, you can have these emotional tenements and have these emotional troubles and not need to destroy the world around you to do that, you know? And well, Rutu isn't destroying the world around... Like, it's, it's a hard shoot, but he's not destroying the Capricorn. Well, I think
2: that that's one of the reasons that I never liked the... Like, I never responded to The Shining is because I was such a Kubrick head and, like, digging into what he did to Shelley Duvall on that set. Um, like, any time I watch Shelley Duvall on that movie, I'm just like, but she's being tortured. This is like this is he my problem. is fucking torturing her. This
0: is my problem with um, and and why I will always say, like you know, uh, not to speak ill of the dead, but fuck Tobe Hooper. Um, there is in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I've talked about this in the past, a sequence where the cutting of the finger didn't look good enough, and so he literally has a take where he put a real knife in there and cut actually cut her finger and had the actress run through the woods. And the scrapes and cuts you see on her are real, and it's like you, film, doesn't need that. In pursuit of art, you don't need to do these things. So when you need to do these things, you lose the world. A film is an escape, and film sometimes is an art for. It ultimately, is an escape from from the real world tragedies. And if you need, it is a safe place to present tragedy if need be. Um, if you need to deal with these demons in a film. You always do it under the veil of the fantasy. Um, no matter how much of a real situation you're dealing with. A hotel Mumbai, you know, has and brutal as as that movie may be. Um now I still haven't seen it, but just, just from the critical reviews of just like how unrelenting it is with its violence, um it's still ultimately a fantasy depiction of what happened. Right. It is not a real torture, a real subjugation of its crew and cast in order to get the production. You know, I can't watch Cannibal Holocaust because they're killing turtles in that movie. Um, even if it's a, a tribe that doesn't it in its day-to-day life, I don't need to see this. I don't need to see the actual mutilation of a person, of an animal, of emotionally or physically. And
2: yeah. I mean, I... I, I, I And that's, that's why I think that his later... The later movies are more interesting.
0: And it's That's interesting, fun. too, because, like, as they, he gets later, he's not, like... He's, sure, he's putting Charlie Dafoe Gains- and Charlotte Gainsborough through some shit. But, he, but it's controlled. Was his,
2: and he was his partner in a lot of that stuff. Like, she was as complicit... In from her interview, she every, has a lot of agency in those right. movies. And it, I guess the only scene that she kind of, like, had to step away from, like, during filming was when she... Of Antichrist, when she masturbated William Dafoe's broken penis. Um... Which is makes me happy. I'm glad she couldn't wasn't just doing that and I'm like this. Makes I thought this, there, there's makes a couple things sense. in Nymphomaniac. I thought she was like a little uncomfortable with that. But she didn't. Being. I don't think she just. I don't think she had a problem with them where they had to kind of stop production where she kind of had to good to go do something else and come. Oh, I thought go. she just. She just said she wasn't going to do it. Maybe there was even a stuff. double in there. I don't even. I don't even really know for that part. Um, but it is. It's one of those things where the. Everyone always asks, "Does the art justify like the artist?" And I always say no and this is this this is the same thing in the sense that I literally Lars von Trier can kind of say anything he wants about well, I maybe didn't. I said, like, "Well geez you we all know you did, and you know you did." and saying, you just I just didn't think, think that she was going to say anything because yes. it's just making movies
0: Finish, finishing his statement of I don't think I touched her inappropriately I think says volumes to her. he's it's it but does, she it does kind not of saying, sound to
2: she's not saying either that I think and this is a problem where I think a lot of these like people of a certain generation get into when they talk about this stuff is that they they think that sexual harassment and sexual assault is literally just like a handful of things and in reality and something that we're seeing a lot you know, today and uh, what was, has been prevalent forever is that uh, many, uh, like, all of your weird sexual proclivities and sexual comments and all this other stuff are your own business, and they're not for you to foist upon somebody else to get an emotional response out of. And if that makes them uncomfortable, then you just harass them slash assaulted them. Like, that's just what you did. Whether or not you also, like, grabbed their breasts or their butts or whatever being up in someone's space and making sexual comments to them is the same thing yeah you know what i mean and i'm assuming he did that just to mess with her head to get her in the space to shoot some of these scenes but that's is should, like you just said like really perfectly should that be what it takes to make a movie
0: yeah to ruin
2: somebody so you could get your you, you know you get the emotion you want you
0: look at and and i'm I, you know, saying this without really knowing if there's any true history to it, but I haven't heard of any, like, polarizing history with the production. Um, talking about the new French extremity movement, uh, Martyrs, the 2008 movie by uh, Pascal Laguerre, um, which is really intense at certain points. It features extreme mo- The The entire premise is predicated upon... Torturing these two women to the point where they can see the gateway to the afterlife and see if there's something in the afterlife, and it's a movie that was roundly controversial. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But it is, um, you know, for for everything I could see in the production, it's it is a spe- it's special effects, you know. Then um, you know, you had to keep the actresses crying all the time, but they was it was based upon that that veil of fantasy. Like, the, yeah, like they weren't
2: destroying the actresses. Breaking them down emotionally. Yeah, they're just
0: like, we just need you crying a lot. You know, just like, whatever you can do to get there to cry. Um, you, you don't have the controversy about the production, it's the controversy about the product. And you know what? Even if I don't want to experience Martyrs again, I'm fine with it existing. Because you know that that's that's the product. If, if you create something that extreme in the fan in the world still of the fantasy that is okay it is when you break that veil when you when you deconstruct when you break that contract of the line between fantasy and reality and the production of fantasy that i have the problem you know when you're destroying your actors when you're terrorizing shelly duvall when you're cutting the finger of an actress when you're inappropriately touching bjork when you're Doing any of the things that have been done in the plethora of the history of controversy in the production of movies, that's when I have a problem with the product. Mm-hmm. You know, you could be as controversial as you need to be with your product. Your film can be but, as
2: controversial as it needs to be, but you can't... And you yeah.
0: cannot bring it from that dimension, that war, that fantasy, into the real world. When you do that, I, I, I have no place for your film.
2: I agree. Um...
0: And if this is what Von Trier needs to do Just to do, do it, then, else. then, then, you know, I'm, I can move on there, there. We've talked about a few weeks ago, you know, we talked about with, with climax, as much as Gaspar Noe is not a great filmmaker, at least he's not <laughs> destroying his actors. And there is that plethora of, of filmmakers who are doing the work well, with, the, be honest both with the most the... emotional veracity has Von Trier, you know,
2: it's one of the reasons I think David O. Russell sucks is because of, like, the Ihar Huckabee, like, footage of him just berating people. It's like, yeah, I don't know if you know uh, you're making comedy here. Like, just relax. Yeah. Or Christian Bale on, what is it, Terminator? When he went fucking ape shit on, like, the whoever. I didn't it's think like, oh, we're think- making a movie. It's like, yeah, you're making a movie. Relax. You're making, relax. especially making Terminator Salvation. Is it Terminator Salvation that he went bananas? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um to to give that credit. That was like he he admitted he, expl- he went too crazy on that. Huh, so. Which one? Christian Bale. I'm like that's not a typical Christian Bale thing.
2: I guess or is it? I and mean, we there's just not a lot of footage so he's a allowed, allowed to No, I just no, no from
0: everyone else. It's like I read into that. Like they they kind of worked that one out. But it's, it is a good example though of like just realizing like it's it's a fucking movie. You know, like
2: I want you to make a good I uh,
0: if we... everyone if everyone on the crew agrees like you look at the Revenant, and it doesn't seem like we talked about like that's a grueling production. But everyone was fucking in it. Everyone yeah. was fucking like dedicated to doing that. And you don't hear much. You don't hear really any controversy. I think of of like, oh, it was so grueling, and I hated the experience. And your new two destroyed us. And I hate this guy. I'll never work with him again. It was just like, yeah, it was a hard production, but like the final product was worth it. And if that's the case,
2: we're going. To, I'm all on board. Or even something like um. We just talked about Apocalypse Now, and like for the thing, I watched the Hearts of Darkness movie. Um, and. Like, Marty you know, having the heart attack. having the heart attack, but, like, he just stopped production. Like, he, he, you know, when they, they wiped the tornado or whatever, the typhoon came in, he just didn't do production for, like, six months. And that's why I think Hearts of Darkness is a weird movie, because, like, oh, this. The production was crazy, it was off budget. It's like, yeah, because the sets kept getting destroyed. Hmm. But he didn't go like you build the sets now. You we film in the typhoons.
0: Yeah, that's my and that's my my problem is now with the Trier and Kubrick is seeing I what they had problem. to do.
2: I mean we could talk about this another thing too. Like um Werner Werner Herzog has like a history of this shit also. Like Fitzcarraldo, did you see the Burden of Dreams?
0: I didn't see Burden of Dreams either. Okay.
2: Burden of Dreams is like have to actually
0: bring the, the ship and, up over the mountain.
2: Right. And he... Burden of Dreams is an insane movie. And I almost put, Burden of Dreams is one of those movies that's like on the, the list just beyond my list. Um, and it's the same thing with Von Trier. It's like, where
0: the ants and the giant spider live.
2: Yes. He needed to get, it was not about making a movie. Like doing that stuff. It had nothing to do with making a movie. It was literally all about him. It was literally just about like, I've envisioned this happening. We're going to just do that. And regardless of what it fucking costs in your psyche and in money and in health or whatever, we're just going to do the thing because it's my vision and I'm making a movie and I'm Werner Herzog. It's like it's okay. Yeah, and that's... If a good movie, that's fine. You know what I mean? If you didn't drag that boat over that mountain, we'd be okay. As a, as a society, a society the same thing we'd with make like, it. Like
0: DW like this is this is prevalent throughout the history of film. You have, you know, things like intolerance being made and, and DW Griffin kinda like destroying his act not his actors, but his production crew to create these fucking gigantic colossal skeptic you know spectacles, as the, the poster itself said, um for no real no reason and just, just like dis just doing these insane things. And it's like when you need to do that.
2: May, what, are, what are you? What
0: are you covering up? Like, like seriously, it. Maybe this is maybe this is too much, but but I'm gonna say it anyway.
2: This is a podcast of too much.
0: Um, if you need to go to these extremes, if if you need to go to the extremes that Stanley Kubrick did to get that performance, or or to the extremes that maybe Lars von Trier did, um, or or to to the extremes uh, of getting these sets or are the correct shot in in, in um. Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Tolerance maybe you have a grand vision but maybe you're not a good enough filmmaker to do it maybe just maybe the dreams and visions you have may be grand and great but maybe they're beyond your ability
2: one of the things I think about what are, like it just popped in my head
0: somewhere right now I, I really just want to pretend somebody's holding a can of something and crushed, crushed it. it yeah just um, like blood, just coming out of their hand oh as the God, aluminum
2: so. cuts in. I hope so.
0: And increased aluminum um, leads to dementia, so you're welcome, buddy. I just gave you Louie body.
2: Um, <laughs> I, I remember listening to Paul, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's WTF, and he talked about like making their will blood, which you know Daniel Day Lewis is always in is always in character, and you know, it's Daniel Plainview um, and it's crazy. And they mentioned that it was kind of funny. And he mentioned that like they laughed a lot on the set when they were making it. You know what I mean? It's not you know, not a comedy, but they they just like they, even they had a good Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, did. they had a good they had, like everyone making it had a good time. And even our, who, um, Kenneth I Lonergan was talking about working on Gangs of New York, and he would say that. Daniel Day Lewis would stay in voice, but he wouldn't stay in character. Mm. So he wasn't just berating people in the fake Italian streets of like 1820s New York City. He was just doing it. He, he was, was just, just doing his goofing
0: around as Bill the Butcher. Sound just,
2: right? He was just doing his voice. He, he would do his voice. He would stay in character, but not like in character. And then on weekends, apparently, he would not be in character at all. Um, and that, I and mean, he's regarded as a psycho, like. From like an acting perspective, like he has a psychopathic method to his acting. Neuro- from I from, didn't from say what neurotic, un- neurotic, yeah. But from what we understand, psychopathic. As people.
0: Psychopathic is Maybe. more Shia LaBeouf in Fury. Joaquin Phoenix has moved
2: into perhaps the psychopathic.
0: Shia LaBeouf, I think, in Fury is kind of the best example. Um, all right, You've heard stories with that, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: But so even that, we can we can put all of those in like the, a spectrum of like this same kind of thing. Um, I don't... He doesn't have to... Those guys don't have to do what Lars von Trier did to get emotionally bare and raw, riveting performances. They don't have to do it. You know what I mean? Maybe it's working with maybe Bjork, because Bjork is not an actress. Maybe it's the fact that you didn't work with an actress. And like she wasn't giving you what you wanted. So then if that's the case... Then you just can't make a movie with Bjork, or maybe you know what I mean. Know, like, you then have to you do, just do something differently.
0: All you have to do is keep Udo Kir and Bjork in a room for an hour, and just being around Udo Kir is gonna make anybody cry. So they just do that.
2: You know, Udo here is is here, right? I told you that he's just sitting over there behind a <laughs> desk in the dark.
0: No, he's well. He keeps he keeps narrating every like five minutes. For, for, for that five minute period I wish one of us silent. did a really
2: good Udo Kier impression So we yeah. could do it right now If we
0: could do a good Udo Kier impersonation We'd not be doing this podcast We'd be doing the Udo Kier impersonation <laughs> podcast Which would have three times as many listeners
2: Alright um,
0: <laughs> Now that we just shit on
2: Yeah, let's do it
0: You know Stanley Kubrick, Werner Herzog, and Lars von Trier Take What that. a good way to end episode 67 Take that um, if you are one of those three directors, especially Stanley Kubrick...
2: We want to hear from you, Stanley.
0: And <laughs> you know how they use email. Stanley, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Google has
2: has overtaken Yahoo. And so you would have to email well, us. Well, I think I've heard their reach is very far. So maybe even from wherever he is, I bet they have Google and he can get in touch with us.
0: Yeah, at PivotalFilmPodcast at, at gmail.com, gmail.com
2: or... He can. I bet they have Twitter too because I bet wherever he is sucks. Just like that, here that, sucks. That
0: little bird. Um, he could he could tweet first Brett Easton Ellis, um, about his New Yorker. Just interview. tweet a
2: bunch of ha 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 to Brett Easton Ellis. Could you?
0: I think that I think that would be the thing that would break uh, Brett Easton Ellis. That would
2: be. That would I can't be the, wait for the next episode of him to just being like they misquoted me. That's fake. news. No, I was, like, blah, I was like, I was like, blah, I was like.
0: It. It. Recently on the podcast, recently I had an interview at the New Yorker. Where they stated that uh, I was a massive no, idiot. They didn't
2: state anything. <laughs> he stated it himself. It's a it's a published. I was, transcript. I was just doing
0: I was just doing my Britney and Ellison impersonation though. Was a, this was... is
2: Tom and Mario. We are recording this on Thursday night. We are from uh, State Street, just north of I ninety five, and somewhere. The funny, in...
0: the funny thing is, is, I recently had a conversation over at. Um, a really nice little quaint uh, crepery with a couple of Hollywood insiders. I think it's and called being, a crepier. And being, yeah, right. Um, being someone who is a member of the Hollywood inside, I, I heard words that I possibly had misspoken, and I am here and then to I just, dispel this. And then I told the, people about them. And I so, do The the social justice warriors out there with snowflakes, their, the snowflakes, comrades,
2: all, comrade snowflake. <laughs>
0: Or all trying to say that i I, I misspoken at it. That
2: was good. It felt oh. good. Fuck you, Brady <laughs>
0: Um
2: If you want to...
0: But if you want to tweet something, tweet tweet at Brady Snellis. And, and then maybe tweet us. I'll, I'll say Maybe yeah. just retweet it to us. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll share a haha. We'll retweet it back to him.
2: These guys are pivotal film. They said some things that I didn't
0: like. If we could start um, a feud with Brady Sinellis, I think that would be, be awesome. probably the best thing. But
2: then if know. he actually came on our show, I'd be excited. Because I, I've been listening to his podcast for a long time, and I really i,
0: I stopped like, the second it started Patreon, and I couldn't find free up epi- like free yeah, yeah, episodes yeah. to stream illegally. Here is the thing: if if Snellis talks- to- Snell's ever came on our podcast, though, I am definitely inviting Megan and like taking that episode off to like just just to see when see he, this, that interaction. When he
2: talks about movies,
0: to see a small five I mean, foot three girl good. destroy bretty Snell's would be pretty amazing.
2: That would be good. I'd pay to see that, and
0: by um, that I mean she would she would probably murder him. Fine. We would we would have a I bet he'd be okay
2: it. with it. I bet he'd be okay with it. Um, it's probably,
0: I think that's actually how Glamour Anima ended originally. You didn't have to rewrite that out.
2: The five foot three girl just destroys Freddie Files. No, that's how Acting Park ends. <laughs> um, uh, you can go to pivotalfilm.com and you can see a list of the movies um, that we've talked about or a list the beers, of the beers that we drank.
0: Beer one of six. How to subscribe. And if if you, wanna, if you want to if you want to mix a beer, you get yourself a Hellboy maple syrup pancake beer. You follow it up with a Springdale Elder Mother beer. Listen, if you want to feel like and have yourself a breakfast you and a lunch like and a dinner,
2: the, if you want to feel the experience of saying this one beer is kicking my ass, drink a pancake beer and then drink this Elder Mother beer, because, and then watch
0: the Revenant, and then compare <laughs> the experience of the
2: Elder Mother beer. Drop acid and then watch the Revenant. And then try to go to work in the morning.
0: Don't watch Dance in the Dark, though, after you've seen all the other Lars von Trier movies, because it just won't have the same effect.
2: I get the impression that people aren't going to go see any Lars von Trier movies if, after this conversation. <laughs> um, but if you did, you know, go see a Lars von Trier movie and then drink many beers, and we will talk to you next week.
0: And if you saw Hellboy, <laughs> definitely tweet us. <laughs> your, favorite, your favorite line in 20 words or less. Excalibur. And then retweet us, like, tweet, not retweet, then tweet us the way you would have wrote it, but also make sure that you do at Andrew Cosby or whatever his Twitter is. This is
2: getting very complicated.
0: Just so you just, actually just tweet Andrew Cosby, how you'd improve his script, and give him ideas for the sequel. (laughs) That will inevitably happen.
2: So, uh, go see a movie, drink a beer, and we'll talk to you next week.